Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Tuesday, December 14th, and this is episode 43 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Skipper Ben. What's up, Ben? Skipper Ben, not to be confused with Bean Counter Bob. (laughs) Yes. And uh, Salt Masaki, what's up, Josh? Uh, Salt Masaki over here, who does use the tab browser, unlike uh, the Sultan of uh, Anarch... uh, Wait, no. Uh, I'm the Count what, of Monte Cristos, I believe, the, is what we established in the first episode. The oligarch of obsolescence, Tim Grassi. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, what did you call yourself the last episode? Uh, the Imam of Imodium? I liked that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling much better today. Thank you. It's good My to know. esophagus is healed. <laughs> I think you're pooping wrong. Uh, My so. whole tube from, from, from the input to the output was troubled last episode. We're good now. Good to know. Good to know. So we have a couple of trip reports to discuss here, but there's some there's some news that uh, would, we wouldn't be us if we weren't insulting Disney in some way, shape, or form. So there's a couple of things that we have to address here. Uh, right off the bat, Disney uh, has been putting out promotional content for Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, and then uh, immediately scrubbing that content from the internet. I don't Tractor know if you guys <laughs> sucked it right back in. Yep. I don't know if you guys saw what was actually put out there. And you had made your reservations and subsequently canceled them, or like Josh, you just went and bought the T-shirt. I don't know, but oh. uh, I, I, did you guys see what they actually put out and then subsequently pulled? Oh, I yeah. only saw the second iteration of it. Okay, Ben, you want to talk about it? it what's there to talk about? It looks terrible. Well, let's, let's, I, I, let's I, dig deeper. I, <laughs> I just I, I've gotten some of the most traction I've ever got on my tweets by just uh, retweeting all of their promotional stuff, and the only comment I put with each one is <laughs> five thousand to ten thousand dollars. That's all I put. I mean, there's the, it, it's it almost looks like the stuff that they're putting in the kids area of the cruise ships. Uh, is That's what a fair comparison, the, I think. I think that you know, you know how they like to put the same attraction in multiple parks to save on money and you know research and design. That's what they're doing here, is what it looks like. Uh, th- th- I love on this video, like they've done it twice now, where they uh, let let what is it hyperspace? Hyper? I, I, I get I get confused on my uh, uh, light speed. We're gonna go to light speed, and yep. uh, they've done it twice now. Uh, one with Josh Jamar and one with the uh, on the Christmas. Uh, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the holiday special. And it's that same lever, you know, you get the pool, like when you're flying Smuggler's Run, and right. it's a lot cheaper just to do Smuggler's Run, uh, <laughs> that same experience. I, I'm not sure what they're trying to do. They're either keeping everything a huge secret to be a major surprise for those people who go on, which is a terrible way to it. promote something. They've never done that before. We can go ahead and roll that out as being an actual <laughs> yeah. possibility. I hope you're right, but they've never done that before. <laughs> Otherwise, ever. they're just showing what they think is some of the coolest stuff, and guess what? It's not very cool, like, at all. So, yeah. I, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and, and at, when they first announced this and announced the price points, I actually felt you know, FOMO. I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get to do this. This sucks. I'll have to just watch it through, uh, you know, YouTube videos and vloggers who get to go for free. Uh, but based on what I've seen so far, I'm okay with spending my money in other places, uh, like <laughs> a cruise or something like that, that, that I can get a lot more, you know, out of my, out of my money based on what they've shown so far. It's just not impressive at all. 
I mean, I think they missed a very obvious something they should have known better about when they conceived of this whole idea is that if you want to create a highly personalized experience, that just doesn't scale. There's there's just no. a limit to how much you can do if you want it to be a very ad hoc, unique, one on one experience. And what what this company's good at is, and usually good at anyway, is creating an experience that's pretty great for a large volume of people. But it's right. like with this hotel, they were they were trying to go for this sort of boutique one on one interaction. But the scale that they tried to build it at wasn't consistent with that. And I think you're exactly right. What you end up with is the same sort of experience, at least based on what we've seen, that you could get in a theme park, except that it's, you know, it's an order of magnitude more expensive. And I I don't know how anyone sells that. They've highlighted a handful of uh, roles that will be on the ship, not necessarily for the for the um, uh, guests, but for the cast. And there's like a dozen different roles, none of which are any characters that we've ever heard of. And I'm I'm sure that that's by design. Absolutely. Uh, whether we agree with that design is well, I think we all disagree with that design. But um, when they did playtesting of this, they did it. I think with a pirates theme, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Scott Trowbridge was heavily involved with it, and they were looking at what the uh, guest to cast member need was. And I think if you want a truly personalized experience here, that number, that number needs to be tighter. You need to almost have like, you know, three guests to a cast member on the front lines of something like this. And we talked about it very briefly last episode about say what they could do at the NBA experience. And one of the things I threw out there was some of those more intimate things that they haven't really done, like uh, the virtual reality experience that they used to have at the void or like an escape room. And this is, it's not the same thing as either of those, but it's not far off from that, that if you really want to make this work and you really want to justify the price, you need people. You need a unique cast to make it work. But I think the other thing you absolutely need to see is familiar characters. And mm. that's nowhere to be found here. And uh, we we uh, we watched something, uh, and I think I maybe even recommended it last episode, a story that Kevin Smith, the uh, writer and director, told about a version of Superman that he was writing that ultimately yeah. became uh, <laughs> Superman Reborn, I believe. Or I think Superman Reborn was the name of it, and it became Superman Returns. But there's a line that the then producer of the movie said in his in Kevin Smith's story was, I don't want to see him in that suit. I don't want to see him flying. And there's another more comical line that is irrelevant here. But it, it was basically like... They you just took told out, the joke and deleted the punchline. Well, no, 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 but, 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 um, for, the, for the context of this, I, don't, I didn't. Like, okay, the full line is, I don't want to see him in the suit. I don't want to see him flying. And he has to fight a gi- giant mechanical spider in the third act. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. the, the, the reason why I'm, I'm mentioning that is you're stripping away the essence of Superman in that story much like they're stripping away a lot of what Star Wars and uh, Star Wars is, and it's those characters that people fell in love with, be it the characters from late seventies, early eighties, or even the characters in, in the uh, trilogy that just came out. Neither of them are really represented in this. Which is and, like I've I've always criticized Star Wars over Star Trek because I've always joked that you know I like science and my science fiction. Yeah. Star Wars is a character play, so if you're if you're going to present that, if you take the science out. And the franchise is so dependent on the characters and you remove those. What exactly is it that you have left? Because the start, if you take all the people that love space and Mm -hmm. stories about space and space operas, you've got the people that are more into the science like Star Trek. And you've got the people that prefer character stories like Star Wars. And now you have Star Wars without the characters. It's 
it's a it's like a mimosa without either the orange juice or the champagne. Like I don't know what it is that you're actually <laughs> trying to deliver at that point, but you're you're missing the thing that people gravitated toward in the first place. And there are arguments too that Gravity can be made, pun. especially um, in Galaxy's Edge, that people were saying, "Well, we didn't see the original trilogy characters in there," and you don't, other than Chewbacca. Uh, but the but argument, they had the place making there though, and the, the counter the argument of- too is like the Millennium Falcon is in itself a character. Yeah. And you can you can make those cases, and by no means is Galaxy's Edge flawless, and I absolutely think that they should not have set it in a specific timeline, but that's a different argument for a different day. Um, my going into the Galactic Star Cruiser, I was excited about it, and I was hoping that it would be successful, and that I could, but not so successful that I couldn't get a spot on it at some point in the future. I did not want to be in that inaugural group. Uh, I just didn't think that that was realistic for me anyway. I didn't know what the price point was going to be. But now it seems like I may not have any problem getting into it, and I won't want to do it. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what the end result is here. I hope we're wrong. I really I, do. I it's was never, gonna start, oh, go sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's never something that I've been particularly passionate about just because I don't really have the affinity for Star Wars that I do for something like Star Trek. But certainly – if you were to plot a graph of how interested in it I am, it went from kind of what you said, something <laughs> that was something that I wasn't going to be willing to pay for, even though it might have been cool, um, to something that I'm I'm really not interested in at all. At least not right away from a willing to pay for it standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, to the extent that this is largely, it's this is. L- let's back up a little bit and, and do what we're supposed to be doing as armchair imagineering. If we look at the <laughs> essence of what this is, it is. Probably as much a show as it is a ride. More, well, it's more a show than it is a ride. So maybe it will be easier to tweak. Maybe they can find a thing that's going to resonate with guests and implement. Oh, this will that have because, to evolve. There's yeah, even and if it was wildly successful, it would have to evolve. Agreed. But I do think there's probably more room to evolve this because it's more like changing a script than it is like yeah, changing Shoshin. So, um, but what scares me is that how did they get it so wrong? Right, it's one thing to say that this thing's going to need to evolve, but it's a bigger problem when the company that conceived of it in the first place appears to be pretty tone deaf to what people actually want. I mean, it's a it's very telling when you spend millions of dollars to produce a uh, publicity segment for a new offering, mm-hmm. and you take the you know how many revisions do you think that went through, and then they put it out into the public and had to. Br- dr- Bring it back because it was oh, yeah. so poor. That speaks to an organization that doesn't have a good sense of what their customers are asking for. I think we've, we've been barking up that tree for years now that from a creative standpoint – I think it's been right the whole time. <laughs> I know, but like they, they, they're running everything through their team of lawyers and their teams of focus groups. And I mean down to Instagram posts, let alone major uh, ABC holiday presentations. Like when Zach Ridley puts something out on Instagram and you see the – the, the liner notes of that Instagram post uh, that accidentally get posted up there. I mean, yep. they're filtering everything through the PC bubble and, and making sure that everything is exactly how they want it to be. And it's, it's the opposite of creative. And you see those companies and pick your company. We can use Universal because their social media is, is so good. But you see companies in general that have a direct line to the consumer in the form of social media. And that connection is established. 
And I think Disney is just playing things too safe, and that's a problem. And I'm going to talk about that later when we get into the trip report, because uh, I did just come back. And I had a great trip. I don't want to take anything away from that. But there are so many things where they're just playing things safe. And I think with this, they I don't know that they fully grasp what's needed here. Or the people that do have been so neutered that they can't really produce the true adventure that they want to. I, I'm so, starting yeah. to think they might have looked at this from uh, – from the viewpoint of building a hotel first and then how to keep people entertained. Whereas this needed to be an inner, this needed to be an experience first with head with rooms attached to it. Uh, the, 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 yeah. the, the driving force needed to be what they were going to do, what the story was going to be, what the reason for those people were and where do we let them sleep at night? Exactly. It, it's coming. Yeah. To, nailed it. It's, this, it's coming, this needed it, to, this needed to be a theme park that you could sleep in. That yeah, is what yeah. they, that's and it definitely what this is coming. This has definitely come across as let's where can we charge them a lot of money to sleep, and now how do we keep them entertained during the day? Well, let's send them to the let's send them to the park for like four hours. Okay, that works. What's next? Uh, we'll put a bar in. Okay, let's put a bar in. Uh, nothing, n- nothing that we've seen so, so far has just been insanely over the top to above and beyond anything that we can already do. That's that's the thing that's been bugging me the most about it. It's everything they've shown us. You want to go to a space bar? Go to Oka's Cantina. Uh, you want yeah. you, you know. Good luck getting a reservation, by the way. <laughs> this is a really uh, dumb in the comparison, but but bear with me. Do you remember when uh, Universal opened the Nick Hotel, the Nickelodeon yep. Hotel? Yep. Like they contract with Holiday Inn to be their partner to do that, and what they ended up with was exactly what you just said. This is an extreme, and I I realize that, but they they had people that were experts in how to make a cheap place to spend the night for a night. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to hot glue onto that, the entertainment component mm-hmm. and it failed. And it's like, this is, I don't know what they're, it just seems like Disney has lost its core competency, which is the storytelling part. Yep. And it, it's just, there's so much obsession with, with growth and profit and pleasing wall street and whatever else that's guiding them that they're, they're losing sight of the thing that made them here. And I think they have so much goodwill built up from decades and decades of doing a great job that they are falsely interpreting revenues as being indicated <laughs> yeah. that they're doing it right. And I, I, I just can't help but think that there's going to be a cataclysmic implosion here at some point. Well, one Those thing indicators I, are so trailing right now because of COVID. Exactly. That they're not exactly. going to see this for three or four years. Exactly. One thing that bugs me, though, <clears throat> about – this experience, it bugs me about Galaxy's Edge. It, it bugs me about a lot of things they promised. And I think I've talked about it on here before. But what, like eight years ago, I got to do the original playtest for all of this stuff when they oh, did, did the okay. Legends of Frontierland out, out at Disneyland. And I'm one who wants to ride rides. I want to be on the rides. I want to be on attractions. I'm not usually going to stop for something like this, but this caught my eye. And... N- I, I signed up for it, and next thing I know, I'm playing in it for three or four hours nonstop. It was one of the most fun times I have ever had in a Disney theme park. Uh, you, you had to sign up, you had to give yourself a name, get yourself a badge. I, I, I remember I was the corn dog kid. It was a blast. You had to, you, we all had made these stupid Western names. Out. We all you went around and you went on these secret missions. You had to go seek different characters. They would send you to go different things. You were you you picked a side that you were on, and your side was doing stuff to sabotage the other side. We were doing it with people. I had I was by myself. I had no idea who any of these people were, but we made friends like instantly as we ganged up to try to do these different things. It was an insane blast, and it was the stuff that they promised us with Galaxy's Edge. It was the stuff that they promised us 
what's what like with the Galactic Star Cruiser. But obviously, like when you see the itinerary that they have things down to the like 15 minutes for this, 10 minutes for this, 20 minutes for this, like there's no way any of this stuff is working its way into the itinerary that they're showing us here. And it, they've done it before and it was fun. I don't know anybody that has that did the old play test that did not walk away having a blast. And so they, they, they've done it before. And this was all done. You know, you go back to the, the not having familiar characters. We, we made up our own characters and had fun. Okay. You don't have to have, you know, solid IP pieces to make this work, but you also have the, have to have the commitment to do it. You have to make the commitment to put, uh, to, to create positions for cast members that all they do is to go out there and have fun and play with the guests. That's, that's all they do for an eight hour shift. Uh, this Disney, doesn't find value in putting positions like that because they're not going to make any money off of that. And so they're, they're cut, they cut those things out. So I, 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 I'm going back to, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but I, I just suck. It sucks that they did not move forward with the stuff that they tested that really worked. That was a lot of fun. And it's the stuff that would bring a lot of, uh, a lot of entertainment, a lot of levity to areas like the Galactic Edge, uh, the, 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 the Batu, to have those things wandering out in the mart, to have those things wandering out in the forest where they're recruiting you to do this and do that, uh, as opposed to just waiting in line. For, I mean, right now it's, you know, Batu is just a theme park land with two rides. That's all. You know, you're waiting hours to, to do that. There's no other reason for you to be in those areas. Uh, there, there's nothing fun and adventurous with it. Uh, and we all know the budget cuts that went into that area. And it seems, I would. I'm just not seeing anything from what we've been promoted so far of the Galactic Star Cruiser that shows that any of this stuff that they talked about being there when they originally pitched this idea are actually going to show up. I think I think this thing's going to open, and it's going to just be basically a hotel, and and that's it. And that sucks, especially at the price point that they're putting it with. The impression that I got was uh, first off, overpromising and under under delivering is what they normally do. But that we were going to see a lot of this interaction in the land itself for everybody that went into the land. And we didn't see that. And then the shift, the assumption of the shift was that, all right, this is all going to be in the hotel itself when that opens up. Or it will be introduced in the land in conjunction with the hotel when all that happens. If that happens, fantastic. Uh, I'm not sure what took them so long for the stuff in the land, but... Until we see that happen, they have not given us any indication that that's going to be the case, that there is going to be free roaming droids, that there's going to be yep. a library of characters that are just going to be roaming around. And they don't even necessarily even need to be known characters, but characters that certainly fit into that universe. Uh, they've introduced a few of them. And I don't know that they've purchased enough blue face paint to satisfy <laughs> the need for the number of characters that will ultimately satisfy those guests that are paying thousands of dollars a night. But uh, it, it, we are commenting on something that hasn't opened yet. Uh, I just we do this to, I as do, a point of habit I, here. but I do want to say be very careful with the initial reviews that come out with this as well. Disney mm -hmm. has let very limited people go into this area and, and, and have a sneak peek so far. And the yeah. people that they have are people that are not very vocal negatively about the company. And so they're doing this, you know, in a way, and like one person in particular, uh, it, when this video came out that we were talking about that, that has been taken down, uh, the song that is sung on the clip, uh, 
she sings a couple. It's it's the uh, pop singer. I forget the character's name. All of a sudden, it was the character we introduced to that she's the uh, you know biggest star in the galaxy. She oh, sang yeah. a couple of lines from her song. This blogger was already tweeting like Disney. When can I buy this song on iTunes? This is the most amazing song I've ever heard. Be very careful with the initial reviews that come out from these bloggers because. Yeah. They're not truthful whatsoever with the stuff that they've come out so far with. Give it a month. Uh, give it a month. Wait for people who actually pay that money to come out and say what they did before you make a decision on what you want to do with it. Because gotta, it's send me in there. Yes. Oh, I <laughs> would love this it. One. You, yeah, do it. Well, I mean, uh, what's I, our, I need what's someone our, else to foot the bill, but I'll I'll go do it. For, well, what's for our the, what's our Amazon for the listeners? What have we made on Amazon this year? <laughs> uh, about, about eighteen bucks. <laughs> <All> right, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is coming. Come on, people. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, why don't we move away from uh, Galactic Star Cruiser? No, uh, let's say, come on. No, <laughs> we got we got more we got more shitty stuff to talk about. Uh, Genie Plus had a great launch in Disneyland. <laughs> Ben and I will talk about how we both experienced this uh, over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, uh, Genie Plus crashed the Disneyland uh, internet system to the point where I think the frontline cast members handled it exceptionally well considering what was going on and credit needs to be going on there. Uh, a takeaway from my trip, uh, and this is just kind of reinforcing it, they are creating a countless countless number of operational issues at the <laughs> Disney parks right now that are just largely unnecessary. And I, I mean, you can you can include Genie Plus in, in it with one of them, but uh, there are so many other operational issues right now that are just... Isn't it funny that no matter how many the times they change the name of my Magic Plus, that it still sucks? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so that was just a, a failed launch. I think it's getting better in Disneyland. Um, I ran into some issues uh, uh, in Florida, but again, we'll touch upon that when we go into the trip report. Uh, speaking of damage control, uh, our Lord and Savior Bob Chapek has hired the uh, former God. head of uh, damage control for BP Oil. Um, when they were trying to shove stuff in the always Gulf of Mexico. Always a good sign. Yeah, always, always a good, good sign. sign. I joked before the show started that he's hiring OJ's team of lawyers next. I mean, yep. the uh, I think I think Len said it if on the magic their last band show. fits, you must acquit. <laughs> yes, there you go. Uh, I think Len said it on their episode. Like, what are they anticipating to go wrong? Because of everything that has gone wrong so far under Chapek's helm, I mean, what other starlets is he going to piss off? What, is he just going to start insulting? Uh, people uh, to their face what's the plan here that he needs this level of damage control uh in his back pocket but i mean you have to assume that they know more than we do i mean <laughs> probably. I, I, I don't think that all the bad news is out yet that's for oh, sure clearly not <laughs> it, I, it's not i mean i think that the destination d incident um yeah was, was the first domino to fall here i think we're about to find a disney ceo that we just never hear from or never all see when they finally put Hitler into the bunker, it was sort of the, the end of his tenure. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to throw this- it out here. Uh, uh, magic bands cause cancer. And, <laughs> and that's why they slowly stopped giving them away for free. And they decided that, all right, we just need to have the damage control guy on there for when this ultimately leaks. That See, uh, I, think, I think the news is going to be far worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> late. The, 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 the crazy dichotomy this company finds itself in, I think, relates back to exactly what Tim said, which is that the, the revenues being generated by these by the company as a whole are trailing indicators. Yeah. And you've got Wall Street that's very pleased with JPEG because of the numbers. But are they? More, are they? Well, 
Well, I don't know. But I mean, I guess you have technical investors who are just looking at the chart and you have fundamentalist, fundamental investors who are looking at what the company is actually doing. I mean, let's, <laughs> you don't have to ask me which one I am. But I, I think that there's a lot of long-term harm that's being done here. You're a Tesla shareholder is what you are. There's, there's, gonna be, there's certainly going to be a constituent of stakeholders who are looking at the sentiment that's building and they have to react to that, right? Sure, when you can't course. bring your chief executive onto stage for fear that he's going to be booed off by your company's most rabid fans, yeah. that, that, that warrants consideration. You have to take a step back and ask, what does that mean? Does it mean that you're going to – one answer could be that we're going to transform the group of people to whom we're trying to appeal. Maybe they don't care about us and they have a plan. A well, maybe – but you also have to consider the other possible alternative, which is that your most passionate fans right now are the most are the biggest group of opportunity that you have, and that if right. you alienate them, you have killed the golden goose. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know where the board sits on this, um, but I think there absolutely has to be some serious talk about what the next five years of this company looks like in terms of top management team. Here's my uh, early prediction. Okay. For one for one thing coming up, there will not be a live public. Parks presentation at D23. I think there's a distinct possibility of that. That would be an incredible passive statement if that actually ends up being true. Sometimes what you don't say is more vocal than what you do say. And that would be, when is the last time that happened? 2013. Okay, so it's not that far away. I thought it was much longer than that. So, (laughs) well, they might as well not have had one in 2011 uh, because they didn't announce anything. But 2013, they didn't do one. Yeah, that's. I think they will find some way to do a streaming presentation that will have no audience, mm-hmm. and that I agree will be with the future there, sure. of this. Because if all they did was delay the inevitable, if they are going to do a live presentation at D twenty three, like the, they if they think this crowd's, I mean, if anything, the the destination D is a smaller crowd than what they're going to get at D twenty three, and it's going to be worse. And but, you know, he, I mean, the, we, we know people that are probably planning. They're, they're, it's going to be a much bigger deal because uh, things are going to be solved by then, by any means. It's, it's only going to be worse in this community's eyes. And uh, based on what he did here, they're going to take they, they've already taken that as an insult uh, and they're going to make them pay for it at that point. And it's going to be ugly and they're going to do everything they can to figure out how not to do it. So I'll play the devil's advocate on this one. COVID has provided the perfect opportunity to transition away from live events like this. Oh, absolutely. Some of like Apple is probably the company that has the strongest reputation per, for providing high impact keynotes, largely sure. because almost exclusively because of what Steve Jobs did when he was right. alive. But when this, he knew how to do it, <laughs> he knew how to do it. And when you look at almost any other big company that does live keynotes, they are an impersonation of a Steve oh, Jobs presentation. They try to model it and they just, they do. You know, he, yeah. he was the, he, he, he created the format of the modern corporate mm-hmm. keynote and that's now gone. And Apple has, what Apple did in the face of the pandemic is they went to incredibly highly polished, highly produced, pre-produced segments. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe they will ever go back from that because well, they make a, they make a lot of money at D 23 though. And I think, yeah, well, I think they'll, I think they'll still still do every other presentation live. I mean, nobody's going to get booed at the Marvel presentation. Nobody's going to get booed. How much money do they make at D 23? <laughs> well, so a couple of things here. First off, I don't want to be in the habit of defending Bob Chapek. But well, I we should defend the, the principles that are right. 
Bob Chab- uh, uh, Bob Iger never did the Destination D presentations. And historically, the Parks and Resorts presentations are headed by uh, the head of Parks and Resorts. So previously, it had been Bob Chapek. It had been Tom Staggs. It had been Jay Rizzullo. Right. Uh, and then these subsequently, the Imagineers. I think if uh, Josh DiAmaro were to do this at the D23 Expo, I don't know that today he is the one that would get booed. But if he is seemingly or perceived as uh, uh, in cahoots with Bob Chapek and falling in line with his corporate overlords, then he very well may. But I mean, when I, I the last one I went to was in 2019, the last time that they had it, and Bob Chapek was on stage talking about the Target dog and. Like it was just, it was such a, I was, I was too confused to be booing. It was, it just made no fucking sense. And there was stuff like that that's going on that like you're banging your head against the wall. Like what the hell are you doing? And in this case, if it's just non-announcements, sometimes that's almost better because like you can, you can say what you want about the first 10 years of Iger uh, at the helm of the theme parks, but at least he wasn't fucking them up. <laughs> like, like he, he kind of is to Epcot right now. Yeah. But you got to back up a minute and say that if, if the big, if the biggest thing that Chapek can do, the best thing he could do is not show up. You've, you've said all you need to say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, there's going to be some Chapek bashing uh, throughout the show. As, as is right. Fully justified. <laughs> as, as is right. <laughs> Um, we've, we've talked about Genie Plus in the sense that like, does this last five years? And I'm going to throw the question out again. What lasts longer, Genie Plus or Bob Chapek? I mean, uh, Genie Plus. Mm-hmm. You may mm-hmm. be right, but, not, but I- not on, it depends on how you define Genie Plus. That's the problem is Disney has a, has shown that they're incredibly willing to just rebadge the same old thing yeah. uh, in order to try and, you know, sever its current perception from its historical, uh, reputation. And I've got some it's harder to do that, that with, I think could with work. actual humans, especially ones that are very distinct looking like Bob. I, I have some tweaks to it that I think can work. And again, we'll discuss that later on. Yeah. Um, the last news item that I want to hit on here is that uh, Disneyland is building their Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. They also just introduced uh, a new Jessica Rabbit character that is not dressed like a lounge singer um, showing off the goods. Uh, so Once there again, was some- failing to recognize your actual value proposition. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but there was there was some concern that Roger Rabbit would be going away from Toontown. And if they're redoing the ride, that is indicative of them not getting rid of the ride. Uh, but the commentary on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is that permits were filed indicating three additional show scenes uh, beyond what is in its Hollywood Studios counterpart. So several outlets have run with that as Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is getting additional show scenes. Uh, how Disney defines show scenes does not necessarily mean on the ride itself. And anybody that's experienced Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway in Hollywood Studios recognizes that there was very little transformation of the old great movie ride uh, aesthetic at the beginning here. And I imagine that trying to fit it into a Toontown aesthetic is going to be vastly different. And I am willing to bet that those additional show scenes are all cue-related. And not and nothing more. Uh, I, I would be very surprised if there's an additional ride scene on the I mean, attraction for for the company as we know them right now to ex- to interrupt the ride path, expand it into new locations within the show building, and add new scenes would be that would be an unprecedented in the last decade of this company, particularly on an attraction that isn't really hurting for no for uh, you know popularity. So I just that there's not. If they're doing that, it's sort of an absurd expenditure in light of the things that they're neglecting right. that actually need help. 
the R&D is done. They don't need to spend more money on that. That's done. There's a done stamp on that one. That's not the place they're going to go. Which is why I'm going to, I'm going to say kudos to them if they do this, because they could take the easy way out. And I'd love it if they did. We've said on, especially on attractions like this that are, I mean, we've never had the black box attraction, but Mm -hmm. gosh, darn, this is pretty close to it. Uh, and and, I think Ratatouille is closer. What, what percentage of that show buildings, that attraction currently occupy like 65%. Like there's a huge amount of space of available space. Right. I don't know where it is relative to the ride path. I mean, that would be an interesting sort of uh, side project to figure out where they could actually branch off, but there's definitely a lot of room in that building. And the rumor had always been that they were going to add something to that side, that, that Mm -hmm. they were saving that space for another attraction. So if they were, you know, I can understand why they use the, the footprint that they have. It kind of sucks that we haven't heard anything actually going in there. Uh, and I doubt anything goes in there anytime soon. But Well, I mean, the ride did open two weeks before the park shut down for COVID. So whether there was true, plans true, yeah. or not. That's true. Uh, uh, but like, if they but, go in there and rip that right up and they leave imagination the way it is, like, I, <laughs> what is the triaging modality that they're using? Like, what are, what are they doing in order to pick where they're spending their money if this is real? Because I hear you saying you'd applaud it and I get that. But, like, that ride's okay. Like, I haven't actually ridden it in person, but I've done the next best thing on YouTube, of course. And it's like, it's fine. It is it, what it, it is. I don't I think put it, a third in that park. I think it's, it's a pretty a, it, solid it, ride. Yeah, it's a lot better than what it comes across on YouTube. And yeah. okay. the the scenes aren't necessarily detailed enough that I mean you you could put a whole new attraction, keep the same floor plan, keep the same path and make it a completely new uh, every show scene different. Uh, which I think would be awesome because then you'd have a version of it out in California, a version in Florida, and it's not just a straight clone. Yeah. Uh and and it's not like you're rethinking everything on that ride. It's a cartoon. I mean, you can you can yeah. redo those rooms quite easy uh to make it two different experiences so adding adding one extra show scene seems to be if they've got the if they got the space to do it it seems like a pretty easy addition uh to that attraction and and hopefully that's what we get because um you know it actually showed that they're spending a little extra on something as opposed to what we've been used to is cutting cutting back if anything i'm surprised they haven't cut back on it (laughs) and and made it a simpler version uh of the one that we already have at at hollywood studios you know the one thing when you talk about cloning attractions I think it's important for us to start distinguishing between traditional attractions and trackless ride systems because the whole beauty of a trackless ride system is that you're not encumbered by the pathway of the of the infrastructure of the ride, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's not really any reason that I can think of that duplicating that ride in another park has to be, you know, tit for tat identical. I mean, mm-hmm. take the liberties to make it fit they in a way that's that supposed out of to Roger appropriate. Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the tit and the tat. <laughs> well played, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate you. I don't know. I just – I think this company – the biggest threat this company has is that I imagine if you're a really talented, creative person, that you've got to be incredibly frustrated right now. And mm-hmm. when you look at across the road, you know, 12 miles away, you got Universal that yep. is iterating quickly and doing things that are – you know, truly unique and creative. It's if I were an artist, I'd I'd kind of want to go there, and I think that sort of brain drain is what's going to hurt Disney. And when I when I look at the what is the name of the hotel, I can never remember the name of the Star Wars hotel. Galactic, Galactic. Star Cruiser. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know that to me indicates they don't either. They don't have the top talent there anymore creatively, or those voices are being stifled in a way that can only drive them away. And either way, it's a long-term existential crisis for this company. I mean, they're they're now putting out 
their next generation of Imagineers. The the generation that was Tony Baxter, Marty Sklar, uh, uh, Joe Rohde, Tom Fitzgerald, Kathy Mangum, they're not who they're putting out there anymore. Some of them are no longer – most of them are no longer with the company or even no longer on this planet. But um, I say that meaning that Joe Rohde has gone to space uh, and not a commentary <laughs> on Marty Sklar. I, uh, what percentage like, of people that Joe Rohde mentored are no longer working for Disney? Like, I that's mean, the thing that would scare the shit out of me if I were the CEO of that company. So like, I, I'm, I'm, not against, I'm not against new blood, but I haven't been overly impressed with some of that new blood. So, I mean, we look at somebody like Tom Fitzgerald who worked on the original Epcot – and I'm going to, I'm just going to get into it because it's not really directly related to my trip report here. So they had him working on the Epcot redo. Uh, and he was on stage in the 2017 D23 Expo and was talking about it. And he was replaced with Zach Ridley, who's now talking about floor samples because he has a lumber liquidators card and is going through <laughs> and just re-upping everything in Epcot. And meanwhile, like you go, you go through Epcot right now and I recognize it is in what they're going to call a state of becoming and I'm going to call it a state of destruction that yeah. the, uh, if you want to go into something like Club Cool right now, you've got an hour long wait. And it's just things like that are very strange and are you really helping the evolution of a park like this with uh, silencing the voices of presumably people who didn't necessarily agree with the corporate overlords? I'm not really sure why somebody like Tom Fitzgerald was silenced here, and I'd love to hear a reason why. Um, but I say that, and I, I took some quotes from those uh, two presentations, the 2017 and 2019 D23 Expo. Uh and in the context of Epcot, uh, this is uh, Bob Chapek in 2017. Our work in the park is centered on a few guiding principles. We want to keep it true to the original vision while making it more timeless, more relevant, more family, and more Disney. We're also ensuring that these plans incorporate what we've been hearing from our guests, especially our families with young children. They love Epcot, but they want it to have a little bit more of that Disney wow factor. And that's why we uh, asked an Imagineer that worked in the original Epcot to now lead the teams in updating it. And that was him introducing Tom Fitzgerald. That was 2017. And I think he was mocked for the more timeless, more relevant, more family and more Disney after that. I think you guys recall that, right? Yeah. So uh, fast forward to 2019. We know from our guests that there's a lot to love about the current park, but we've also heard loud and clear that they want more attractions for the whole family, more of their favorite stories, and yes, even more shade. It's a park that will be more Disney, more family, more timeless, and more relevant to the millions of guests that visit us each year. Uh-huh. So he's, he's still leaning into those meaningless things, and I know we called them out on that. We called them out to, like, what, what does that actually mean? But the thing I actually want to focus on here is him saying that there isn't enough for families in that park. Look around that park. There is more to do for families in that park, just from a ride standpoint, mm-hmm. than in Animal Kingdom and Hollywood Studios combined. There's there's plenty of stuff for families to do. The problem is it's just mediocre. That yeah. everything that they've got in that park is a notch below some of the newer stuff that they've had or some of the legacy stuff that they've had. They've either redone legacy attractions like Spaceship Earth to a lesser version of what it was. Yep. Or uh, you could say say the same thing about the seas where it's, yes, that's uh, uh, gravitating towards your newer demographics with a Finding Nemo overhaul. But uh, I think you can make an argument at least that it wasn't as enjoyable or as long as the sea cabs. Imagination, same thing, where whatever you have well, it there. it certainly wasn't as long. Is, it's not It's not the optimized version of what each of those things are. No, it's spending and, millions of dollars to take a step sideways at best and a right. step backwards in a lot of cases. 
So you can make a case, and I know we're detractors of Frozen here, that Frozen was a step above Maelstrom, at least from a ride quality standpoint. I think if yep. people can look at it uh, logically, that, all right. I'm okay with a, that. You've made, you've made a step with that. I don't agree with its placement, but it is yep. a better ride. And well, once, sim- once you're willing to say that placemaking is out the window, then then you can say then you can say straight up it's an upgrade. If you strip placemaking out of it and appropriateness of theme out of it, Epcot's lineup of family-friendly attractions is actually the second strongest. Uh, it's just – it's a lot of – it's there's not a lot of uh, high-end attractions there. It's just a lot of them. There's, yeah, I correct. think, what, seven attractions there that don't have a height requirement? Seven rides there now that don't have a height requirement? Maybe six? Whereas Animal Kingdom has two, I think, or three, Navi River Journey, Kilimanjaro Safaris, and Triceratops Spin. Yep. And then yep. Studios has – Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway, uh, and then Toy Story Mania, and that's it. Because uh, Alien Swirling Saucers has a 32-inch height requirement. Yeah. So their their lineup uh, at Epcot is just – there's a lot of mediocrity there. And we are often in the camp of add, don't replace. Epcot is kind of a reason for that because they've been replacing things and replacing it with something worse. If they had maintained – uh, what was there and added to that? Oh part, my god! It would be it, so much better. It would be it would be a very close second to Magic Kingdom. Right, right. So uh, I I look at that and I'll I'll hit on my Ratatouille thoughts right now. The there's nothing there's nothing wrong with Ratatouille, but it doesn't uh, it it doesn't make that leap into a top ten attraction in Disney World. And I didn't expect it to. I expected it to be a solid D ticket, and I think it scratches that itch. I'd say that it's probably the best ride, and not probably it's the best ride in World Showcase. Uh, but I didn't like it better than Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Uh, I'm I'm glad that can, they added hey, it. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yep. I can. Okay, I just totally lost you for like thirty seconds. Sorry. He okay. just said that Ratatouille is the best ride. Disney's ever uh, put in any <laughs> I, know, I know he didn't say that. No, he exactly did. what he said. Exactly what he said. And we're going to keep this awkwardness in the show because I don't okay. feel like editing around it. That's fine. To repeat, Josh, what I said was that it's it's the best ride in World Showcase right now, and, and it's an addition. So we don't. And have it's to an com- addition. We, we so don't the, have to like discount it by what it took away. So, but the uh, the problem I see here is there is now such high pressure on Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind to be excellent. It has mm-hmm. to be on the par of Rise of the Resistance. It has to be. But it's also something mm-hmm. that is going to have a height requirement. Uh, that height requirement is at minimum going to be 40 inches, probably 74. It's, it's, it's going to be at minimum 40 inches because they don't have roller coasters other than Slinky Dog Dash. It's an intimate are, coaster, right? And then the ones uh, are back. I'm not sure. I mean, you could, you could, you could probably guess what the height requirement is just by who's building it. Yeah. It does based on that car. It's pretty simple lap restraints, right? Okay. I, it, it it seems, God. I mean, besides the launch, otherwise it might be Slinky Dogish, and and Slinky Dog has, you know, not the not the reverse launch. This is going to have, but well, I think so this might thing, end up being a lot more family friendly than we're we're expecting. Anything in the dark can be half as fast and will seem equally That's as true. thrilling. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at look Space Mountain. You know, it's what twenty six miles an hour. I think is the Guess average that, yeah. speed on you know the average peak speed on that coaster, depending on the temperature and the number of people in the car. So, I, I don't think it's going to be a super intense ride, but I I do think there'll be is, if there's inversions, I'm, there's going to be a high requirement. They, they there's can't not have be inversions. They, there's not inversions. No, on it? Okay. and and they can't have something that features you know Rocket Raccoon, which is directly towards the kids that doesn't accommodate as many kids. But otherwise, the complaints that guest relations are going to be out the out the you know, yeah. to to the parking lot. 
It's going to so be 40 less, or 44. It's going to be substantially less intense than Rock and Roller Coaster, though. Yeah. Which yes. Is, yes. Which is pretty. <laughs> you're looking like Thunder Mountain is 40. <sighs> I think Space is 44. But you're. I don't. Like, I don't need intense as long as the technology is awesome. Yeah, if it's a great ride, I, yeah. it could it could have no height requirements and still satisfy. There are plenty of rides that that satisfy that. Yeah. I think if if um, if Rise of the Resistance didn't have that drop uh, or the simulator segment, it probably wouldn't have. It definitely wouldn't have had a height requirement at all uh, yeah. because it's just a trackless ride. But uh, adding that into it just kind of gives it that next step above what was there for a traditional trackless ride, which uh, you know is what is part of what makes Rise of the Resistance so great. But if if they're making the argument that Epcot needs more things for families, then the way to solve that problem is not with a ride that has a height requirement. And yeah. we know that at some point in the last five years, there was a budget in excess of $200 million for an imagination redo. There was an, an announced uh, plan to update Spaceship Earth. Both of those things need to happen, and they need to be announced. And I'm not well, sure that well, they are. I, and I do this all the time. I mean, the the Play Pavilion is going to have what three things for kids? Yeah, no rides at though. least. No rides, but three, but three experiences for kids. That I, I mean, we don't know what they are yet, but uh, you know, but what what they're going to flesh out and be. But they are putting more things in there that are family friendly, that are maybe going to be at a bit of a speed bump. Maybe that is a sign that that Guardians is going to have a, a height requirement. And oh, it'll absolutely have a height requirement. It's just what it's going to yeah. be. Uh, so maybe it's more substantial. Maybe it is more substantial than we're thinking, and that's why there's that play pavilion so the kids can go there while mom and dad go ride guardians uh, see to me but, what it comes down to i think there's two ways this ride is going to be perceived in general one is that it is a weak roller coaster which will be a failure but if they can get something that is perceived as a dark ride that has intense elements that mm-hmm. could be a real win but there's there better be some story there better be some great show scenes because if it's just if it's 0.5 rock and roller coaster, that's a failure. Well, I Especially think where right. you you ruin the skyline of Epcot with a stupid yeah. building. Like it better be good. <laughs> it's long. It's got that going for it. I mean, I think this ride is all story, and that's that's obviously I the thing so. that they the thing that they have been selling is having the uh, the the movement on the cars so they can direct your vision to what they want you to see. I mean, I remember Tim telling me years ago, before we did a podcast on it, that this was going to be a love letter to Epcot fans. And I, that, I was and hoping the, so. The more I've heard, I'm like, oh, I don't well, know. I, I came up with like, <laughs> all right, how do we do this in a way that it actually works? And that was one of the story beats that could work, that yeah, you could do it as a time travel thing that yeah, is well, a love letter to Epcot. You notice they have not talked about that part oh, like, no. at all. Like, <laughs> that, is, that is completely dropped off. That That, that is not uh, – mentioned Feel, at all anymore feeling a little nervous over here right. <laughs> i was i just looked it up and i can't find it uh i was trying to see what the length of escape from gringotts is because cosmic rewind is supposed to be like a five thousand foot coaster that's it's a pretty long ride that's a long coaster yeah yeah so especially for one that's not particularly fast like in terms of time that's probably going to be a pretty long ride I think there's going to be some fast components to it, but they've got to have show scenes on it. I mean, the the budget is so fucking ridiculous. They have to have show scenes. Well, the the, sh- the show scenes based on the blueprints that are out there seem to be screens. So, I mean, it's going to be... Well, if it's screens blended with practical effects, then that's fine. I think that is probably the winning formula right yeah. now. But if it's just screens, ugh. Dave Bautista did say that he just wanted to be there the entire time. He, he, was, uh, he just wanted to be shirtless on the ride. I think he was happy with that. 
Uh, I mean, Josh, he's complained about having to uh, play Drax, and I think he's looking forward to being killed off in the franchise. I love it. (laughs) So do you think, to me, Mummy is a really good implementation of a coaster that has a little bit more to it? Yeah. And I think that if this thing's not better than Mummy, it's a massive fail. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, I'm... I'm kind of nervous. I'm hopeful, but I'm nervous. The mummy's length is. I think it'll be better than mummy, but we're not going to get those physical show scenes that makes mummy awesome. Yeah, but that's what makes mummy awesome. The fire on your face. It's going to be at least twice as long as mummy. Well, that's something. Yeah. I mean, that is something. I mean, if it's a five minute ride as a roller coaster, that's that's pretty awesome. That's a long roller coaster. Um, and Mummy has launches. This is going to be launch-based. It's not going to have a, a chain lift or anything, to my knowledge. Um, but That's yeah, going to be limb. Yeah. Well, and the thing the thing with this one, and granted, Joe Rohde's not leading this, but It'll it's It'll be hard. 10 times the cost of the Mummy as I'm looking at this. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 11 it's, times the cost. It, it needs to be a 45-minute <laughs> roller coaster to be dollar for time on par with Buddy Mummy. I sincerely hope that it is at least at least a little bit better than Revenge of the Mummy at 11 times the cost and twice the track length, or two and a half times the track length. But if it's not, we will have a special episode just for oh, you. Oh, absolutely. And, and we say that, like, I absolutely love Revenge of the Mummy. It is a great ride. It really is. For something that's 17 years old, it is a great ride. Yep. I mean, look, the thing, the funny thing is that the medium changes, the tools change, the technology changes, but what what makes a good story has always good been the good. same. And that's part of why there were people literally almost chaining themselves to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, because there's just <laughs> something that connects with people, and your, your customers are all people. All the people that are forking our money are humans. And if you can understand what makes humans feel and cry and, you know, laugh – that's that is what's going to compel them to fork over the dollars. It's not just technology for technology's sake or shaking them around or making them go fast. And I really, I really, really, really have a lot riding on this attraction because if well, this if this thing is great, then we have to conclude that a lot of what I've concluded over the last couple of years is wrong. But if it sucks, you kind of have to conclude that my position over the last couple of years has been right. In which case, we're going to have to revisit this podcast. Uh, first off, apologies for uh, almost interrupting you there. I did it just so Tim <laughs> has to do some more extra editing. I appreciate um, that about you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, but it, you're saying if this has to have a good story with it, the one thing we were saying in our little break there that I believe, uh, granted, Joe Rohde is not leading this one uh, like he did with Mission Breakout in, in DCA, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's if you if you need an attraction that's going to have a good story, you're, you've got a good group of characters to do that with. It's hard not to have and fun a good with the Guardians. Yeah, the, the yeah. yeah James James Gunn loves theme parks, and loves attra- and, and gets it. He 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 gets it, and and these characters are a blast to do anything with. And anybody who's been on Mission Breakout knows that. I mean, I I love that ride. Uh, it's that so much fun to do. It does give me a huge hope, um, and, and even the Guardians movies, anytime the Guardians show up in any of the Marvel films, those are some of the most fun scenes in any uh, any Marvel film. The, the movies themselves are a blast, so you're you're starting off uh, with, a, with a good core to hopefully give you that positive, uh, you know, the, the, the positive show scenes, the positive storyline for an attraction, so 
I've got a lot of hope. I think this thing's going to be a blast. We're, we're having our trip next summer as late in the summer as possible to give yeah. us a shot to ride this. Um, I'm, I'm geared. I, I can't wait. I, I think it's going to be awesome. Do we have any insight into opening day on this or soft opening? They said summer. summers, summer 2022, which can okay. be September. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, they, they said summer 2022 officially. And uh, you, Ben, you brought up a good point on Mission Breakout because that was something where, granted, there was the fear that they would also touch Florida's Tower of Terror. But uh, when they announced that they were going to be redoing the Tower of Terror in California, there were a lot of people upset about that. And most of them were silenced by what they did. And they they just did a very good job. And yes, yeah. the exterior building is still going to get criticized, but the sight lines in that park were already ruined by Tower of Terror because you could yeah. see it from Cars Land. It's just a different thing that you're seeing now. But they did a very it, it, good we, job in that makeover. And yeah, we 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 had the talk on there that uh, I don't want the Florida version of Tower of Terror to be touched at all. I love it, but Agreed. yep. If they were to say, hey, we're going to build Mission Breakout in another park, uh, I would have no problem with it at all. It's right. that much fun. Yeah. It's the same ride system. It's the same thing. But, That's you the know, beauty of additions the ex- versus replacements. The ex- the experience is so good that, sure, put it wherever, put it in Tomorrowland if you want to. I'm going to ride it. What if they put that in Future World instead of Cosmic Rewind? I mean, we uh. don't know what Cosmic Rewind is, but let's say that you don't have the big blue box and they put that in Future World next to Mission Space. Nope, I, I would love it. I think it would be a blast. Uh, as long as the sight line matches uh, with the architecture in Morocco. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a bit jarring. But <laughs> uh, No, the ride is that good. I, I think we I think we have said that before on okay. here, that if, if, if that were to go there instead of uh, – here's, here's the crazy part. What if what if this is so good they decided to make a little Guardian's Land and they put Mission Breakout next to it? I'm fine with it. Especially That'd if it hides fine. the building from the rest of the park. You put it yeah. in the right side. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. all right. Let's let's go to the trip report now that we're uh, now that we're derailed further. Um, Josh, you recently went to Dollywood. Booby World. Uh, I, I haven't received a Christmas card from you. I did receive <laughs> one from one Mac May with a photo from there. Uh, again, my invitation still hasn't shown up. So I, I like I know that some things are happening with the mail and others. I, I, if you can shed some light onto why Ben and myself weren't invited, I'd like well, to. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. not one to uh, yeah. shy away from criticizing the federal government, but I'll say that it wasn't their fault in this case. <laughs> okay. you, are al- you are always welcome on any trip that I'm on. But um, that hasn't been my experience. <laughs> getting down to brass tacks, um, Dollywood. What a what a beautiful place that is. That's all I can say. So, my wife and I went there. We met up with Mac and his family, and it's so for those anyone who doesn't know, it's in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is uh, you know in the south, quote unquote. But it is a place that gets cold, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they do as a park that is in a place People that has People do listen seasons. to our show for weather updates on Gatlingburg, Tennessee. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for them. <laughs> Does uh, it get a bit nipply at Dollywood? It does get a bit nipply. <laughs> see what I did there? Tis the season to be merry. Um, <laughs> this is a, a seasonal park that is – so if you look at a lot of seasonal parks, like the one that's near me, they are generally closed after October. Like they don't have any operating dates. That's but what Dollywood, seasonal means. It is. But Dollywood does a – a Christmas presentation, basically. Okay. So they're open into November and December, which is much later in the year than most seasonal parks are. And it was cold, I will tell you. But it I will say you I will say point blank bar none, it was the most beautiful Christmas nighttime experience that I've ever seen anywhere, period. Really? It was it was tasteful, it was 
impressive. It was a level of execution that greatly exceeds anything for the holidays that Disney does. Um, you know, it's not just prefabricated set pieces that are installed and then removed in January. It's, you know, tens of thousands of lights put into towering real trees um, just all over this sprawling expanse of park that circles this mountain. And it's, it's just stunningly beautiful. Um, Max, uh, oldest daughter and I both enjoy taking pictures and the, the two of us probably took a thousand pictures between us just of how just incredible scenes. You just walk around a turn on a path and there's just a sprawling vista of lights and terrain and trees. And it's, it's just absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And I, I joke to Mac that Walt might have figured out the blessing of size, but he didn't figure out the blessing of terrain, you know, Disney World is a pretty boring plot of land, quite <laughs> yep. frankly. Uh, you know, Dollywood is not that. The park is literally – We got swamps rich, and swamps. We have both. <laughs> Whichever you want, we got. <laughs> you know, Dollywood has the blessing of having – it is uh, – you know, I don't mean this in the religious sense to try if anyone might be an atheist, but it is God's country. I mean, it's just – it's mountains and big old trees and lakes and it's just, it's just a very uh, – uh, just incredibly impressive landscape. And when you couple that with the sort of niceties that we get of modern technology of lights and everything, it's, it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And it was awesome. And it, the trip, the point I really want to make here is it, I was in the park for two days because they're open. I might get this wrong. It doesn't really matter. I think they were open Monday and we were there and then we were closed Tuesday and then went, we went back on Wednesday. And on the first day I was there, I hit all the rides I wanted to hit. No problem, no real operational issues or anything. Great attractions. And on the second day, I didn't ride much of anything. I just kind of walked around and appreciated this beautiful place that I was in. And it really made me miss what Epcot used to be because this is just a stunningly gorgeous place. And um, I, I said this many times when I was there, and I'll, I'll say it now. I think for me at age 40 or something, um, <laughs> there's more for me there than there is at Disney World right now. And Interesting. I, I don't, I don't know. It, it kinda, I kind of feel like a scumbag for saying that because Disney is a place that I have such a sentimental attachment to. But what it's become is just, it's so cheap and common and gaudy. And you go to a place like Dollywood and it's just, it's an old fashioned theme park. It's got its problems, but it's this beautiful place where you just go. I was there with my wife, who I adore, and, and one of my best friends in the world, Mac, and his family. And we just walked Not around. Your podcast co-host, but yeah. we, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fair enough. We we you know we we laughed and we we just had a, an amazing time and there was no planning, there was no agenda, there was no fast <laughs> passes. We just did whatever we wanted. We just meandered around this beautiful place and experienced this together, uh, and appreciated each other's company and talked and rode on these great rides and saw great shows and looked at beautiful sights and it was just an incredible experience and it reminded me so much of what i used to get at disney what i can't get there now because it's such a regimented complex corporate endeavor and this place is just pure and awesome and i i, I could tell if you have any questions i'll have you happy to ask them but at the end of the day that's my thesis is that this is to me what a theme park is it's just an experience that you have with people you care about that you know that no matter how senile you get you'll never forget those special days 
And you can hear more of Josh's thoughts on Dollywood on his new podcast, <laughs> Dolly Called. Subscribe now on iTunes. Dolly. Dolly. <laughs> I, I just you really need to ASMR mode there, too. Mike, so. <laughs> Mike Gill prevents me from not saying this, but we did an episode of the show where I joked about how Dolly killed Kenny with her giant boobs. Yep. And then Kenny Rogers died the next day. And the yep. following day, we released this show. And to this day, <laughs> that is probably the worst <laughs> – like conspiracy of timing that I've ever experienced. You just made it sound like we did a full episode on Dolly killing Kenny Rogers. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people in the room right now who hate me because they think that I hated Kenny Rogers. But I'm sorry, but Coward of the County is one of the best songs that's ever been written. I celebrate the guy's whole catalog, but that was no Michael McDonald, but other than that. <laughs> Yamo, Yamo be feeling bad about this. Um... Are you well? You asked if there are any questions. Do you have any plans on going back to Dollywood, say within the next year or two? Absolutely. So let me tell you how the annual pass works at Dollywood. First of all, it costs the equivalent of a two days in the park. Okay. And it's more than a year. So I bought my wife and I's. In we don't know what the word annual means. November. She is a blonde. Of, of this year, <laughs> and I think it's good until March or February of 2023. So you're getting like a lot of months. Okay. So Mac and I will probably go back uh, after Lousy the New smart year. weather. I don't know the exact date. Um, but it is – for anyone who hasn't been there – Will we get an invite to the second go-around? You, you dumbass. You're invited <laughs> to all the go-arounds, idiot. <laughs> but for anyone who's listening, if you've never experienced this park, you need to do that because if you've been able to tolerate this show for long enough to hear this, you will appreciate this place. It is just – it is kind of like what we talk about we want with Disney, the ability to kind of go back in time and experience things when they were a little bit more simple and pure. It's kind Are of your that. expectations lower there, though? Is that something yeah. that you have to? Uh, no, I don't really think so. Okay. I think I like what I like, and what I like is a beautiful Oops. scenic aesthetic. I like great right now. I'm a roller coaster person, so I'll, I'll okay. give you the I'll give you the I'll, I'll give you a countervailing point on this. My wife hates roller coasters. Okay. So what made this trip good for her is that we were with Max's family who had at all times a person who was willing to sit out on a ride and keep her company. I mean, that Whereas, helps too, like regardless of where you are. I mean, you agreed. can get the DMV, but if you're there with people that you love, <laughs> then then it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing. You could be you could I'm going to use the DMV as an example. You could be shitting on the uh, mass of humanity that's there with you and enjoying yourself, but uh, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be. Uh, I, I understand and respect what you're saying about Dollywood, but the expectations that we have for Disney, I have to imagine, are de- are different than what you have going into Dollywood. Your price point is different. Your uh, expectations for experiences are different. So uh, there's got to right. be some variation there. Let, let me try and calibrate. Let me try and calibrate for this. Okay. I would rather pay Disney prices to go to Dollywood. Then pay Dolly prices to go to Disney. Okay. That is a very enlightening statement, I guess. (laughs) You might find it unbelievable, but I'm being completely sincere because it has something. We talk about this all the time. And at the end of the day, I feel like if we're ever able to actually articulate this well, it'll be Mm -hmm. the end of our show. (laughs) We've been struggling with it for years. It's this kind of purity. And look, these are all commercial enterprise. Dolly, Dolly Parton. It's a business genius, yep. a multimillionaire. 
So we're not talking about altruism or charity here. That's not my point. But what I'm saying is it's like here, the best analogy I can think of is radio stations. I used to I used to be very good friends with a guy who was a DJ on a radio station, so I sort of learned this. And the model of radio stations is this. When a new radio station enters the market, they don't have any advertisers because they're new. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people tend to really like listening to them because the music isn't interrupted by a bunch of ads. And then they have a bunch of listeners, which means they're appealing to advertisers, which means they could sell ads. So they sell ads, which makes the radio station less appealing because yep. now the music is going to have more ads. It's like Disney is a victim of its own success because it has so much volume of business that it can get away with a lot of bullshit that is consumer hostile because there's so much goodwill and sentiment there that when you screw over the people that care about you the most and want to spend the money there, they don't stop going immediately. Whereas Dollywood is something more pure. They, it seems as though, and I'll, I'll just be willing to admit this is probably not right, but it seems as though there's a higher priority on serving the guest than there is on extracting every possible nickel from them. That could and be true, though. I mean, I, 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 I suspect it probably is. I said that last thing mainly to a piece of people who are going to argue with me. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to defend you in this case. I like because, it already. Uh, uh, people may be like uh, listening to what Josh said about how he'd rather pay Disney World prices to go to Dollywood than vice versa. Um, as we look at who has spent money on Disney trips. On this show, it probably the hierarchy goes to Ben because he stays on property and has a family of four. Then me, uh, who doesn't stay on property, and uh, Josh, have you spent a dollar on Disney tickets in the last five years? Have you ever gone to Disney World, Josh? <laughs> so I've never been. Long time listener, <laughs> first time visitor. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, I know for a fact that when you bought that T-shirt, you didn't pay for park admission that day. Because you had a friend hook you up. Yeah, well, look, you get a lot of shit when you do a podcast. The upside is occasionally someone will swipe you through the front gate. Right, right. Uh, Let me think about this. Five years. So we're in 2021. Carry the one. So you're talking about 1776. We just beat the British. Uh, I believe I have spent money on Disney property in the last five years. Okay. Okay. But but the, it's getting the close. Fact, the fact that you had to think about it kind of lends some credibility to your statement. So uh, <laughs> to, to, def- to defend what you're saying, um, while I am also in part calling you out for being a lousy Disney fan, I am I'm <laughs> still everybody. also subsequently supporting what you said as well. I'm the so, biggest fan. You're putting I, your money where your mouth isn't. I'm a huge money. Disney fan. <laughs> I, that doesn't mean I can't criticize them for getting off the track of what made them successful. Mm-hmm. I, I love what Disney has done. I just think they're fucking it up. <laughs> I have a question for you. I'm listening. Because we'll get into this here soon with uh, with Tim's Disney trip. Dollywood, does it have any kind of service similar to a, uh, a, a jump the line pass? What, what do they offer there that uh, – They do. Okay. Um, I will – And did you, did you use it? No, and I'll be honest. I'm kind of ignorant as to the nuances of how it works, but do, I can do tell you, need you that- a doctoral thesis to understand it. <laughs> no, and what I think is most important about it is it is not so significant as to disrupt the experience of normal guests. Okay, there's just it, it's about simplicity, I think, and I think this is mm-hmm. where Disney's really gone wrong. We all look. Anyone who gets to go to a theme park is ostensibly spending money 
that they previously worked hard in order to earn. Mm-hmm. And when I was at Dollywood, I felt like the people that I was paying were working as hard as I did to earn the money in order to serve me. Whereas okay. my sense of Disney lately is that they're just they're putting their effort on extracting my dollar instead yep. of making me happy. And that's that's not a satisfying experience. So, you know, and and I do think that Dollywood again, not to be a broken record, but like the just the terrain, the environment, it's a beautiful place. But they're not ruining it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. they have this thing there and they're just they're it seems like they're focused primarily on creating a joyful, happy experience for the people that are there and not not on just magnetically sucking every nickel out of their pocket. <laughs> and that's and refreshing. How many days were you there again? I was in Gatlinburg for five days and we were at the park for two full days. Two full days, okay. I, I did want to mention this and this will be really quick, so I'll just throw it in now. Uh, Walt's selection of Orlando – in August, you might think he was not thinking it through fully, but I'll tell you what, in November, <laughs> I'm a person who likes cold weather, and I was in Under Armour cold gear, jeans, a shirt, a sweatshirt, a jacket, a hat, and when the sun went down, it was who too cold for me to Who had money on Josh owning Under Armour, by the way? Yeah, I did not <laughs> see that coming. Listen, I go to the gym four days a week, buddy. Sometimes five when I'm feeling saucy. Name, name three sports. Uh... <laughs> Round ball, <laughs> oblong ball, <laughs> puck. <laughs> no, I think uh, based on what you said there, it kind of is similar, like to my feeling. It, obviously, it's not as nice as Dollywood, but I've uh, I've lived within forty five minutes of Six Flags Over Texas my entire life. I was now really I nervous lived- that Six Flags was yep. part of that response. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I live fifteen minutes from it now. We have season passes and. Part of what I love when we go over with the girls, we'll go over often and just the, I, I don't do this at Disney anymore because you can't, but I love pulling up in the parking lot. And as we're walking to the gate, we're talking about what we want to do that night and what we're going to ride mm-hmm. because we don't know what the lines are. We don't know. There is no set itinerary. There's no, I have to, we have to be at something by a exactly. certain window to do it. Exactly. It's just, you know, oh, I want to walk over and see what the line is for the Riddler. Okay, let's go. And then after I want to go over and see what the line is for the Texas giant. Yeah, let's do that. And it's just we wonder, and yeah, ah, the line's long. We're not going to ride that one. Oh, God, the line's short. Let's get in line right now. Oh, we can do it again. You just don't do that at Disney hardly at all anymore. We don't, you know, there's no app on our phone to see what the wait times are. You have to actually walk to the other side of the park to figure it out. I, there's something about that that I actually like. I totally agree. Uh, and, and it sounds like you have some of those experiences with Dollywood that that's just the... It's a simpler time at some of these parks, and that doesn't suck. Can I ask a quick question? Oh, I just did, I guess. You did. Uh, yep. No more. How about a second that park one? You just talk, is that where the Rattler is? I, I think it's called Iron Rattler. No, now. That, that's at Fiesta, Texas. Okay. Uh, down in okay. San Antonio. That's a great very roller, fascinating roller coaster. coaster. For anyone who's interested in it's like so fun. roller coasters yep. being like really bad and then fixed, that's a good <laughs> story for you to look at, too. Because that killed some people, as far as I recall. Well, they did that with the Texas Giant as well, which the fixed Texas Giant killed somebody like the night that I wrote it for the first time as well. Ooh. So that's not that's not a good example. No. Uh, but the Texas Giant, like I literally missed a week of basketball in high school with bruised ribs. Uh, oh, wow. Because it was so bad. But they they did the steel rail, which Six Flags has hey, done. Sing the song about mostly. giving me the basketballs because you're going to dunk it. <laughs> <laughs> After the show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
but they, they, Six Flags has been doing that. They did it to the Rattler. They've done it to most of their wooden coasters across the country where they uh, have now done the hybrid wood yep. steel. And it's now like you're riding on, on a sheet of ice. Yep. And it's so much fun. Oh, so God, it's great. For those of you who don't know or care, there's a company out there called <laughs> RMC, Rocky Mountain Coasters. They're the ones who make all these hybrid coasters. And basically, their business model is they go around the country and fix all of the horrific yep. wooden coasters that all the other companies <laughs> that were like scamming theme parks built. And it, it's a pretty solid business model, actually. Uh, so what was your favorite ride at Dollywood? And what was uh, maybe, I, I don't know if uh, biggest surprise might be the word, but what's something that uh, kind of gave you that Disney feel that okay. uh, hit, you, hit, you in the, hit you in the nerves, hit right. you in the heart? Two questions, so I'm going to answer them in turn. Um, unchanged from my last visit, Lightning Rod is the best attraction in that park. It is an incredible coaster, although I will say from the last time I rode it till now, they added trim banks on the launch, um, so it's much, much less intense going into the first inversion, which is fine because, honestly, it was borderline prior, so it's probably <laughs> appealing to more people now, so that's fine. But that is, for what it costs to go into Dollywood, it is worth it if you just went in, rode that, and left. Okay. And End of statement. Um, the biggest surprise I had, I, I'll credit Mac for this, is uh, we, we on two nights, Mac, sort of knowing how uh, enthralled I am with Christmas lights, had a strategy to reveal the beauty of this park to me. And the strategy basically was, we'll go see a show right around dusk that's roughly an hour long. By the time we come out, it'll be dark. So you go when it's light, you don't see the lights, you walk out and you see the lights. Bam. Pretty smart. Um, and we saw two, the two nights we were there. The, and the first night... I thought the show was great. It was a Christmas show. Uh, it, it, I found it very touching, which made me cry a little bit. And uh, two of the actresses in it, I found extraordinarily attractive. So I was also <laughs> chubbed up, which I appreciate. <laughs> and uh, then I walk out and I see, you know, the most beautiful Christmas light display that I've ever seen. So, I mean, that to me was an awe moment. And I remember having awe moments as a kid at Disney. I haven't had them there in a while, but – um, this was like, I literally walked out and looked at the display that these, you know, just people like you and I had built. And I just was blown away that human beings were actually able to create something that beautiful. That's, that is the level of impact it had on me. I'm looking at photos of lightning rod and just totally ignoring all your sentimental, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> messages here. Uh, but this looks like an awesome coaster. It is an incredible coaster. And this is Part of my joke about Walt not appreciate the blessing of terrain. This mm -hmm. is a coaster that, for most of it, is probably only ten feet off the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it hugs this rolling, you know, Tennessee terrain. It is a, it is just a beautiful creation from an engineering perspective, from a perspective of art and experience. It just, it's amazing. It is. I, there's just no way to really use words to describe it. Um, it is, imagine Hatch just having a really cool hilly train and be like, what is the coolest possible thing I could build on this? That's what yeah. they did. And that's, Excellent. I love RMC for that. They're, they, they are really, really good at that. This sounds like a park that there's a lot of thoughtfulness. A lot of people care. It sounds like a fans, you know, who enjoy that park really enjoy it. Um, do you think Dolly Parton would get booed off the stage at the, <laughs> at at the Double D Twenty Three Expo, uh, oh, I love it. That is well played, well my done, friend. Ben. I've yep. been sitting on that, that one for uh, like three minutes. That is the, we we got our show title there. 
double D23. <laughs> uh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. let me tell you something about Dolly Parton. It's probably double D forty two is probably that is, more accurate. That but. is a those are way bigger than D's, I'll tell you. I have some great photos. We might put this in the show art, actually. <laughs> that woman is a juggernaut. She's mm-hmm. awesome. What Nobody. about jokes? I'm sorry. No, what yeah. <laughs> no, I chose my words properly. <laughs> Ju- well, jugger, yes, then. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, that. So the history of that park is interesting. I'll, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I'll give you the, the 10 seconds I know. I used to, when I was a kid, my mom always used to take me to Tweetsie Railroad in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, and I've always been a train fan. And they have a beautiful steam, like legit steam engine, not like Six Flags Ben steam engine that runs on propane, <laughs> but like one that burns coal and blows steam at like a legit railroad that ran through the mountains. And I used to love that place. We went there every year. And there was a couple of brothers that started that place. And they're the ones that originally started the park that was the predecessor and in interest to Dollywood. And then Dolly bought it and really blew it up into the enterprise it is today. But from the beginning of time, the sort of the the core value of that park was the land that it was on. I mean, that is it's funny that there's such a parallel with Disney and Walt, you know, the blessing of size. But it was they really leaned into where that place is and they never strayed from it. And it's just it's just a gorgeous place. If you've never been there, you're missing out. You really need to do it. It's very cheap. I mean, it's. I think it's like a seventy-five bucks or something for a day ticket. And it's like one hundred and twenty for an annual pass. So you yeah, can't yeah. afford not to be in the, in the top tier. Um, it's, it's definitely a on my list place. of places to check out. I just don't find myself in Tennessee all that often. Understood, but it, you know, it's just a, a matter of spending a few hours to drive there. I mean, it's not that far from you, actually. I don't know. How no, many, it isn't. It isn't. If if you ever want to go, I'd certainly love to experience it with you. Is that is that well, a formal now, invite? Now he invites yes, you. That's a date. I'm asking you out. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we have anything else on Dollywood? No. Okay. Well, uh, well, Josh was at Dollywood. I was slumming it in Disney World uh, with my family. Um, so uh, the the roster of people that were there it was uh, my daughter who is not yet two, uh, so it was her first trip. My wife who is pregnant. Uh, my parents who are in their seventies, my autistic brother who is, how old am I? So he's a uh, 44, 45. Um, at given times, my aunt joined us and then my, uh, mother-in-law and, uh, uh, Marie's stepfather as well all joined us at various points. And the trip dynamic is basically I plan 98% of everything and the rest of the family's job is to actively try to fuck that up in new and creative <laughs> ways. It really, uh, it really you, was buddy. impressive. It really <laughs> was impressive. Uh, the, the lineup of, uh, things that we lost, uh, let's see, my brother lost his wallet. My mother lost a brand new iPhone 13 that she had for less than a week. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa, whoa. How did she lose that? <laughs> Uh, she put it on a tray at Epcot. We left them unattended for less than half an hour. Uh, well, Marie and I tried to get into Space 220, and uh, we went back. So they were eating at Sunshine Seasons, and uh, we came back because we couldn't get into Space 220. And from the time that we walked into the building, because she texted us, because she saw us, uh, to the time that we sat down, the phone was lost. So the assumption oh. was that it was put on a tray and subsequently thrown away. 
What about and the track uh, the Maya devices app? Oh, Josh, Josh, you ignorant slut. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's that, what my mom that calls That would me. imply that, uh, first off, that my mother caught it in time. Uh, oh. Secondarily, that my mother knows the Apple ID that is associated with it. Oh. And, uh, third hand, that not only does she know the Apple ID, but the corresponding password. So, so I'm guessing her mom also doesn't use tab browsing. Uh, probably not. Um, although, in her defense, she actually is more technology versed than most people in their 70s and i'm going to be ageist but i'll i'm defending her in this respect this was just a mistake that was made so she's Uh, like relatively comfortable with fire is what you're telling yeah exactly exactly excellent Uh, and she she is relatively comfortable with technology but uh i think what happened here is that when disney empties the trash cans multiple times per hour in a quick service restaurant that gets that much traffic. And when they empty those trash cans, it is brought to the incinerator very quickly. Or I have a different rather. theory. It's on eBay right now. It could well, probably be purchased so, for, a, so for a song. <laughs> to that point, uh, I was finally able to get into her uh, – or trying, trying to get into the, the Find My iPhone app and did locate it. Uh, did not get a hit on it until after we got back to the hotel and its its general area was not a precise area. So it was, it was last it, known time. It was holding hands with like three other iPhones, uh, <laughs> like the toys at end of uh, Toy Story 3. Pretty much. The, uh- <laughs> no, the, like the circle of where it could be included both Epcot and Hollywood Studios. Uh, so <laughs> so it, was, it was not precise. And, and the- so did... Did she get to go in the parks at all after that? Don't doesn't Disney stop you at the gate if you don't have a phone? You're not allowed in. <laughs> that is true. I think they just you don't Where's have your a phone. phone? They, you can't come in. They, she goes through security and they, she doesn't have a phone on her, and they just stop her. They say, you got to go back to the car, lady. Go back. Uh, go back to your resort. <laughs> so lack the requisite technology. Yeah. So so she was what was. Uh, thankful i guess is that because she had bought a new phone for the first time in seven years uh she brought her old phone with her because we were going to make sure that everything transferred over correctly we literally did the transfer two days before uh we went on the trip <laughs> and so she had it and we were able to react so wait how long did she have that phone but be- how, how many hours did she own that phone between when she bought it she, when she lost got it? it uh the day before thanksgiving it was activated on thanksgiving day and lost december 3rd wow yeah, that's so. That is a short tenure for an iPhone. It is a very short tenure. Wait, wait, wait! You <laughs> you said it pinged in. It could have been at Hollywood Studios. Yes. So so it might have been with your car keys in the parking lot. It could have been. It could have been. Uh, I mean, anything is possible here. So fast forward as well. Uh, as we get off the plane on the flight home, uh, I'm going to out my daughter here at, uh, you know, not yet two years old. She did very well on the flights up until the last half hour of the flight back when she had to poop. And when you're a toddler and you're sitting in a seat, uh, could not, could not handle the discomfort. So my wife got her off the plane as quickly as possible. Um, I, trailed them by about five minutes with the uh with the car seat or plane seat as it were and uh where he went to change her comes back from the from the bathroom with emma 
and says, uh, I don't know where my phone is. Meanwhile, the flight that we were on is being turned around to go back to Orlando. So, <laughs> so I'm like, all right, they're like pre-boarding at this point in time. So I go over and say, uh, look, my wife left her phone on the plane. Uh, we were, you know, this side of the plane, eight to 12 rows back. And you look, woman goes, disappears for five minutes, comes back, doesn't find it. Uh, uh so I, I tell Marie, uh, yeah, they say they can't find it. If you want to give a better description, go for it. I'll watch Emma. So she goes, disappears. It comes back, no luck. Uh, and I said, "Do they have? Does Google, because she has an Android, um, have any means of tracking uh, your phone?" So she pulls up her tablet, and uh, the Google Pixel has like a, you can turn it into a beacon, basically, even if the phone is on vibrate. So uh, at that point, she Which, located you, it. Must have been it was, and uh, so so her phone was on vibrate, and she uh, the geolocation put it. You'll get that joke later. The, yeah, no, I got yeah, it. I, I was just ignoring it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the geolocation put it outside of the terminal. And so clearly it was either on the jetway or on the plane itself. <laughs> it put it in, in, in the studios. It was, it was back in the studios, not in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's just a um, home full of phones. So, <laughs> so uh, we, we, I end up handing – they're like board, we're in Southwest. They're literally boarding Group B at this point. Uh, so there are people on the plane going to – going back to Orlando. And we hand, I hand this woman who wanted no part in dealing with us. Uh, and they had checked at this point four times. I handed her the, the tablet and said, the phone is making noise. Can you try one last time? And uh, fast forward <laughs> five minutes later and a guy comes back with the phone that we nice. can't shut up now. But uh, so we almost lost two phones. Uh, as I said, my brother lost his wallet. My father lost a credit card. Emma and I were the only two people that didn't lose anything, uh, which is impressive. But now I know why – Chris and Derek left e-ticket because we're 15 minutes into Tim's trip report and haven't talked about the parks one time. Yeah, well, I started talking about the parks back when we weren't doing trip report stuff. I, I um, watched an episode of 60 Minutes with Tim once. Best three days of my life. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, I, I, so going back to the parks now, now that I've got my stories of uh, my family's uh, issues out of the way. <laughs> the trip was great. Uh, I'll call it what it is. Uh, and this was a combination of using Genie Plus, using the Disability Access Service, using the Disability Access Advanced Reservations. We did not wait more than 15 minutes for anything. Um, and my, my daughter did great, uh, took naps during the day. Uh, aside from the hiccups that I just kind of outlined, uh, we had a very good and productive trip. And uh, – Certainly took a lot of pictures and video that we will cherish. So all of that sentimental stuff was a hit on every every note that it should have. I'm so glad that we were able to do this. Uh, we weren't sure if we were going to. The original plan was uh, to do something in late 2020 for my daughter's first trip, but COVID had us a little bit more cautious about it. So um, just very pleased that we were able to share her first experience in the park with both my parents and Marie's mother and stepfather as well. So all of that, very, very positive. I thought you were going to say, and then you lost the memory card that had all the photos. And, yep, and then I lost the memory card. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, t- I touched upon this beforehand uh, to, to do some uh, some shitting on the parks first. Uh, Epcot is a collection of mediocrity right now. We didn't start there on any given day, excuse me, but we hopped there three or four times. Um, so, like, if you guys really think about it, is there a ride that is currently in Epcot that would crack your top ten for rides in Disney World? Spaceship Earth. I'm not sure that it does. It I does think it's for me. probably in the, that's a subjective I, question. I think it's in the 11 to 15 category for me. Yeah. For me, Spaceship Earth 
a lot of it is sentiment in history mm-hmm. and not what currently exists there that rides in bad shape and needs a lot of TLC that it's yeah. not getting. But as a concept, um, sure. yeah, I'm, yeah, Spaceship Earth. I, I still think Test Track would crack the back end of my top 10. Ooh. Test Track, definitely not for me. Yeah, I agree with him on this. I, w- one. I would say uh, Spaceship Earth is uh, kind suck. of on the, <laughs> on the edge of it. Um, I would say Living with the Land is probably in my top 20. Yeah. I would say Soren is probably the- in my top 20. Soren for me is lower. Living with the Land is higher than, than Soren. I, I still don't consider Soren a ride. Soren is a movie with a shaky seat system. Well, that's that's Universal's bread and butter. But, so it, is, the- <laughs> but it is compelling. I'll, I'll give it yeah. that. I'm not, I'm not denigrating it in terms of its overall experience. I'm just saying I don't think it's a ride because you never really move. I mean, some of this might be blasphemous, but if I look at what's in the studios, what's in the Animal Kingdom, there are at least three rides in both of those parks that I would put ahead of Spaceship Earth without question. Which ones? Uh, in the studios, Rise of the Resistance, Tower of Terror, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway will surprise people, but I stand by that, uh, at least in their current forms. Uh, and in the Animal Kingdom, Everest, Safaris, Flight of Passage. Okay. And I think I can – get to at least five rides in the Magic Kingdom that I would prefer over Spaceship Earth. And none of that is really condemning Spaceship Earth. It's more a matter of I just think that there are better options elsewhere. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I I do think Spaceship Earth, if you actually look at what it stands for, it is a very compelling attraction. But if I'm going to compare it to other things that I would regard as classics, for example, I think it is closer to Great Movie Ride than Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. All right, let me throw a different metric at you. What ride has the best show building? That's a fair point. I mean, okay. aside from Cosmic Rewind. Cosmic uh, Rewind by far. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, by far? it's it's something, but how many people <laughs> how many people look at Spaceship Earth and say, I want to go into that and are somewhat underwhelmed at the result of it. And I'm not speaking uh, for myself, but just your average guest that I couldn't care less about the... That's more of a defect in humanity than a defect in Fair enough. In that's fair. <laughs> but any, anyway, so th- that was just an observation. Uh, and this goes into my mediocrity comment. Uh, I know Josh loves sports metaphors, so I'll try to phrase this one in a Love way that Josh will understand. Uh, with Epcot, with the rides that they have there, uh, they're swinging for opposite field singles, and they should be swinging for touchdowns. So uh, I think that's one a way that Josh would appreciate I'm it. I'm 68.4% <laughs> sure that you're mixing metaphors, but I'm not positive. <laughs> You have to skate to where the field goal is going to be. Yes. <laughs> that was by that was a famous quote by Wayne Boggs. <laughs> Wayne Boggs. <laughs> Wayne Boggs. Wayne Boggs. See, now, now come on, you make fun of me for sports, but I just put that shit together pretty quick. Wayne Boggs. Wayne. Yeah, Wayne. I'm, I'm delivering it's, the goods tonight. That's all I can it's, say. It's Wade. W A D E. But yes. no, you're good. No, no you're it's his brother. No, you're missing it. Ben will figure out. Also, put down if, a thirty fifteen in the morning. Ben's gonna wake up and realize he missed my sports reference. <laughs> Dear Josh, it's me, Ben. <laughs> I think so. So Ben and I were both in Disney World in July, and yes, there were new new to me things since then. But remember, remember when like we invited each other? To yeah, go to yeah, parks? That was, it was nice pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, while I was on this trip, Ben uh, almost simultaneously was uh, kind of a proxy for somebody with using Lightning Lane. So I'm going to share some of my 
observations and trials and tribulations with it. And Ben, I ask you to do the same. Yeah. So the way that we had set up tickets here is I had an annual pass. I managed my mother, my father, and my brother who had eight-day park hoppers, and Marie is on her own account with an eight-day park hopper. Uh, the way that it's supposed to work is that if you have an annual pass, you should be able to buy Lightning Lane at 12.01 a.m. on the day you're going into the park. And from 12.01 a.m. to 6.59 a.m., I was unable to purchase Lightning Lane on any given day. And the same was true for my uh, mother-in-law and uh, step-father-in-law, I guess is how we'd call him, because uh, <laughs> they also had annual passes. We were able to purchase them exactly at 7 a.m., but the way that Lightning Lane works, uh, from 7 o'clock to 7.01, that is a very important time from booking your first high-priority attraction. As an example, I had multiple days where by 7.01 to 7.03, Jungle Cruise the next available lightning lane was at one o'clock or later. So it was very time critical and time was lost uh, as a result of a glitch in the system. And I really hope that in the future they can just allow APs, assuming that the system stays in place to just pre-purchase the days that they want, because that would make things a lot simpler. Um, Ben, what were you working with for tickets for your friend that you were helping out? Or perhaps why don't you just go into what you were doing with your friend? Yeah, so uh, my wife's a travel agent, and we had uh, a friend of mine, a co-worker uh, and friend, that booked their first ever trip to Universal and Disney uh, through through Lisa. And uh, they had never gone before whatsoever, so they weren't familiar with the old system. They weren't familiar with uh, anything that we had you know, previously going into this, which uh, makes the learning curve on how to use this new system pretty steep. <laughs> and so they did start their trip at Universal. Uh, they stayed on property, so they had an unlimited express pass, which they adored. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic for them, which scared me even more for when they <laughs> went to Disney because I was like, oh, yeah, it's nothing like that. Um, they had four days in the parks, uh, one day in each park. Uh, and it was they had a resort package staying at Art of Animation. And so we were able to – we did their whole package uh, – Ahead of time, and we, we were able to put Genie Genie Plus uh, a week a, about a week before they decided to do it. Okay, and so there was no getting up and purchasing per day, anything like that. It was already done. So at seven a.m., we could just go in there and make their first purchases. I should clarify: um, if you have length of stay, and I think most people already know this, you can buy it yeah. in advance. You just can if yep. you're an AP holder. Yep. So that's that's what they had. Uh, and so what we did learn, uh, well, what, what I decided to do, because they were they were quite confused on it, and frankly, I was confused on it. I couldn't, you know, find the right words to describe exactly what to do. So <laughs> uh, the like two days before while they were still at Universal, I was like, hey, give me your login to uh, the, the Disney app. I'll sign in. We'll test it the first morning. If I can get in here and book things from here, uh, I will. And we so the first day they were going to Hollywood Studios. So, of course, the pressure's like on right away that, you know, they want to get in there. They sure. want to do Rise of the Resistance. Uh, we wanted to get Slinky Dogs. That's another one, like you said, with Jungle Cruise that by 7.03 can be three in the afternoon, right. uh, which can throw some of your planning off the entire day. So we that night before their first day, we devised a plan that they were going to because of their limited time in each park only being there for one day. Uh, they did do the paid lightning lane for some select attractions with Rise of the Resist Resistance being one of them. So okay. the pl plan was uh, 
both of us get up, you know, they, they, they got up at six 55 from, uh, in their room to, uh, get on there. I was up at five 55 back here in Texas <laughs> and, uh, right at seven for them and six o'clock for me, uh, sh- she was going to go in and do any paid lightning lane passes. And I would go in and get their first lightning lane pass, uh, non-paid one. And, it worked flawlessly that first day at seven, at 7 a.m. They were able to sign in. They were able to get a paid lightning lane for Rise of the Resistance at like 9.15 in the morning. Okay. Uh, I was able to get a Slinky Dog pass for them uh, for like right around noon. Okay. And so that we're like, okay, cool. We're going to do this for the next three days. We'll, we'll do this each morning. I'll, I'll help you with your first one. But what it turned into, again, because of, you know, having a, having a noon pass – for Slinky Dog and me trying to explain to them that, you know, at, at 11 a.m. your time, you can book your next one for that two-hour window, or if it's less than the two hours, uh, once you use that pass, you can get your next one. It It's mind-numbing, especially to somebody who had never been before. So, at that point, I was like, you know what? Since since I can sign into your pass and do everything from Texas, that's what we'll do. I At that point, it's, it's again, a close friend of mine. I wanted them to have a great experience. Sure. If I could do anything to help them do that, that's what I was going to do. So uh, we kind of termed it quarterbacking their Disney trip uh, because that's essentially what you can do. You, you, can, you can sign in under their account and quarterback everything uh, remotely. And I did. I, I had my alarms. So, you know, I set my alarm for 10 a.m. here. Uh, because that's the next time they could book their next pass. I would I would do it for them, and I would just send them a text saying, "Hey, go do this at this time. Here's your next window for this one," and walk them through their entire day. So, can you uh, make that's any, kind of, can you make any rational argument that says that the necessity of this proves that the company isn't failing? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, how is this necessary to have a good uh, vacation? I, I, can, I can make it not yeah. necessarily a good argument, but I can make an argument. Okay, they Walt Disney World is too large to do something like another park does where you have a premium express lane type thing that doesn't require the scheduling that doesn't require that. But so, isn't it worse now than it was before they implemented it? Uh, and what meaning that like before I mean, fast pass or before before? No, I think the paper fast pass system was okay, the, yeah, the, okay, the least so yes. bad. So they've made it worse. I, so uh, I, I think there are absolutely uh, flaws to this that I yeah. don't think were there during the original paper fast pass. Yeah. I would say, Paper Fast Pass post GAC pre My Magic Plus is probably the most efficient. Yep. Uh, next to next to maybe Max Pass, like the the, the both the combination Mac, of operational I never confusion. That, so but I yeah, Th- this one. definitely came across as very Max Pass Max Pass ish to me. There uh, was some absolute benefits to this, Josh. I don't want. I don't yeah, mean to undersell yeah. it. Um, and I, I said it at the out, at the outset that I didn't wait more than fifteen minutes for anything. Yep. Yeah. If you know how to run the system and you know what you're doing, this is an absolute bonus to your day. The thing that sucks the most about it is at some you know at multiple points during the day you'll remind yourself, oh, this used to be free. Yeah. That's the only part that really sucks. If the, the the actual use of the system, I found it to be it quite convenient. Tweaks, though. It, it does it need needs- tweaks. I, there, there's bad things and there's things that I found out that, that I'll get into here in a little bit when we talk about the Magic Kingdom Day mm-hmm. uh, that benefit the user again, if you know, and I'm sure this is something that they'll they'll fix when we get to it. But uh, for, for, for my friends, they loved it because they had that deal. They, they, same as you. They did not wait for anything. They mm-hmm. got on everything. They did, a, especially like at the Magic Kingdom, they did so many attractions that they would not have been able to do if they did not have – 
this pass, uh, have this pay for this system. Our first day, we were in the park less than seven hours. And we did Jungle Cruise, Pirates, Tiki Room, Flying Carpets, Splash Thunder, Mansion, Small World, Peter Pan's Flight, Teacups, and Mine Train. Yeah. In less How than ma- seven hours. Would you have done that much without the pass? Without the pass, no. I mean, this was supplementing with a couple of different things, but also traveling seven deep with a toddler, with 70-year-olds, things like that that were slowing us down. So we had a couple of factors working against it. Uh, but I think with um, – with this in conjunction with either a willingness to wait for some things but not for others, yeah. uh, we would have accomplished the same thing if it was just, say, Marie and myself. Yeah. So, And, and I, it, like my next trip will be with a group that's massively large. So um, that, that adds the inefficiency of it. So this helps that. But Yeah. Yeah. I think especially after what we saw in this, I've already told my sisters and my parents, I was like, we have to get this. Like it, just just for the – I end up piloting our entire family through the parks. I uh, yeah. get quite stressful, and this is already going to be a benefit to me to take some of that stress out. You know, believe it or not, that oh, uh, absolutely will be. So we will, based on what I saw here, and based on what I was able to get my friends on each day, um, we'll be we'll be paying for the system and getting it. I don't want to, but. At the same time, I want to do as much as we can, and this is really the – I don't know if we'll be doing paid lightning lanes. That that one I'm not convinced that we'll actually do. But the, the $15 a day to do the core stuff, that is pretty much a no-brainer to me at this point. So we paid up charges for Ratatouille, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to look at my first day because there's some more things be- besides the procedural things. Uh we didn't know what my daughter's reaction was going to be to the parks up until, say, the last six months. She's been relatively sheltered. We hadn't really even brought her to um, uh, to many restaurants. But uh, she, she was absolutely gassed at the end of the day. She was lying in her stroller. And then she kind of uh, sat up uh, right around her normal bedtime and just said, more rides. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was very, very cute. She absolutely figured out what we were doing and enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, I think I sent you guys the video of the first ride we did was Jungle Cruise. It's my brother's favorite ride. And uh, as we go around the bend and approach uh, Schweitzer Falls from the side where we're going to see the backside of water, uh, you can see the moment where her jaw actually drops when she sees the waterfall. Uh, and it was really uh, very special. And I'm glad that it happened to, uh, to catch that on uh, on video. Yeah, that's pretty but, cool. But she, she absolutely loved it. I would say uh, across the board, her favorites um, – um, Winnie the Pooh, we did five times. That wasn't really a surprise, but she asked to see uh, Mickey and Minnie quite a bit. Whenever we mentioned a train, because we did the train in the Animal Kingdom as well, she assumed we were talking about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Uh, any of the spinners, like Flying Carpets and Dumbo, those things kids gravitate towards, and she was no exception. Uh, absolutely loved the Tiki Room. Uh, enjoyed basically anything you would expect a kid to enjoy, um, but really did well. And I think the only thing that scared her, and it was just for a brief moment, was in the stretching room uh, as the uh, the guy is hanging from the ceiling and it goes dark. She had a little bit of a gasp then that uh, was quickly quelled by her being in Marie's arms at that time. But just absolutely did great. 
Um, I took a lot of video as I think, uh, I don't know, Ben, you've seen it. I posted it on, uh, on the Facebook. So you probably didn't watch all of it because like me talking, it's, it's a long winded video. I think it was 40 minutes of family <laughs> photos. My favorite uh, iTunes rating of us ever is that they're long winded. Uh, I- I'm but, still going through the 3,700 pictures you uploaded. I got it under 200. <laughs> uh, but, but basically, Ooh. yeah, she, she did a great job. Uh, my brother hadn't been for two years. Uh, as predicted, Ben, you asked the question. Uh, he's that the monkeys were silly on the Jungle Cruise. I asked him if he liked Old Jungle Cruise better or New Jungle Cruise better. He said Old Jungle Cruise. I also rephrased it and he repeated that he liked Old Jungle Cruise better. Because so often with my brother, if you ask him the question and you just flip-flop the uh, the two choices, he'll just go with whatever one is said first. Um, but he, he seemed it's the to the method. Yeah, exactly. But the the other thing, taking the setting aside Lightning Lane for a moment, is the operational problems that i saw i would say daily at the uh, the park entrance we would see people that didn't have park passes for a multitude of reasons sometimes they were lying sometimes there was a glitch whatever it may be uh that was something that i'm sure is adding headaches to the frontline cast members um the other thing that we ran into is we had a day set aside to resort hop and that was far more complicated than it had to be there mm-hmm. are roadblocks everywhere uh in the form of uh, staff that just kind of get in your way. Uh, uh, we saw this at restaurants where Marie wanted to get Emma settled at a table before we had food and that wasn't allowed. Um, but at, at trying to resort hop, uh, it used to be that just you couldn't hop to the monorail resorts. And there were kind of magic words you could say to, uh, to get around that at, say, the poly or even the contemporary at times. Um, but we wanted to see the gingerbread house at the Grand Floridian, and we didn't really have an easy way to do it. So we just ended up picking a day that we were hopping to the Magic Kingdom and just getting off the monorail and doing it that way because yeah. we wouldn't have had the opportunity to just park there and spend half an hour in the resort. Um, I understand that – they're they're going to tie a lot of things back to COVID, but uh, the ability to resort hop or now the inability to resort hop is kind of a problem. And if they – I don't know that Disney has ever towed a vehicle, um, but <laughs> to have just like the opportunity to just spend an hour at a resort without a reservation would be so much I, easier than what we faced. I just did yeah. a quick uh, search on Inside the Magic. There's no articles about guests getting their vehicle towed, so I don't think it's ever okay. happened. Good to know. So, uh, some, Breaking some news, <laughs> guest gets vehicle towed at Grand Floridian. If, if the over-under on Disney ever towing a vehicle is zero, I'm going to go ahead and take the over. Yeah. <laughs> um, the so, so we have, I'll, I'll acknowledge it, and I think people are well aware of this, we have historically parked at the Polynesian. There are, I, I find that one of the hardest places to park. Yeah, so I know. We, so we've done it. And uh, in years past, we've you know come up with a litany of excuses. This time around, every time we parked there, we made a quote unquote reservation at Captain Cook's, and we it wasn't a reservation. But uh, can you say it? can I pronounce it correctly this time, please? I'm not sure what you're going for. It's Captain Cook's. Oh, Captain Cook's. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm sorry. Thank so you. the uh, the first time around. Uh, we were showing up around lunchtime. We ordered lunch at Captain Cook's. And when I got to the entry gate, uh, they asked if I had a reservation. And I said yes, which is not entirely correct. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I did have a, uh, a mobile order that I had, I had pre-ordered. Fair enough. 
So not technically a reservation, but still a commitment to purchase something. That seems good enough. Yep. And what I noticed is that he had in real time, the uh, security guard, and this is the first time I've seen this, had real time reservation info. So when I gave him my name, he said, nope, uh, you don't have it. And I showed him, I said, I showed him the Captain Cook uh, uh, reservation uh, mobile order. And he said, oh, okay. And let us right through. This and is a good. This is a life hack here, listeners. It is, and but at the same time, we're not like cheating anything, mm. uh, in the sense. Mm. Well, I mean, yes, yes, and no, but we're also spending money for a full lunch. <laughs> well, you're so, overcoming the system that's trying to keep you out in order to get in. So I think you are defeating something. But at the same time, I'm paying for a full lunch for you're not, at you're this not point, doing anything wrong times, uh, to do it. And I've I've looked so historically. Uh, the rule used to be that if you had a reservation at a hotel, you could stay there all day. I think now the official rule is three hours. Um, but I don't That's think it's dumb. ever been enforced. Yeah. And if you have a reservation at the hotel, you can stay there all day. Yeah. Uh, if I had a Kona Cafe reservation for one person versus a Captain Cook's reservation for the four people that were in the car, uh, I think the Kona Cafe would raise less eyebrows in the Captain Cook's mobile order, but yeah. I might actually spend less money at the Kona Cafe. So, it's, the Captain Cook move was kind of baller. I'm kind of impressed by that one, to be honest. So, uh, so we, I just we usually I gotta take a shit excuse when I get there. <laughs> you order like one can of Monster Energy drink, and you, you've got. <laughs> <laughs> so so fast forward though as we're ta- we're talking about it so we we went over uh, we had a day off and we went over to Caribbean Beach and I went and I went uh, to the guard shack and just said hey we're gonna look around maybe grab some food didn't have a mobile guard order guard shack baby guard <laughs> guard shack that's where it's at can you see that as Michael McDonald no reservations you can't park here <laughs> I know what I'm doing after the show <laughs> little B fifty two ending for us. At Caribbean Beach, I went to the gu- to the guard shack and the, I just said, you know, I was, uh, we're going to get some food, maybe look around. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. That's fine. And so I didn't know my way around Caribbean Beach. And I parked near the lobby, which is not where the Skyliner station is. So I went into the lobby. And it, first off, it smells great in that lobby. It smells like a pina colada in there. I don't know if the last time you guys have been at Caribbean Beach, but it smells awesome in that lobby. But we, we did look around, and the plan was to set that as our base of operations and ride the Skyliner for a little bit, and then do some resort hopping with Caribbean Beach as our base of operations. Yeah, we show a relaxing day requires a base of operations. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, uh, in, in this case, so that's like effectively parking at the TTC. I see Tim unfolding his map on the fucking table. There is the plan. So we had two cars. Uh, I think at this particular day, my mother, brother, and myself were in my car, and my father, Emma, aunt, and Marie were in Marie's car. Uh, so Marie is not five minutes behind us and a shift change behind us. Yeah. She does not Just get to be into clear, Caribbean How beach. many of the people in this caravan have already lost their cell phones? Uh, at this point, <laughs> this would have been the day before my mother lost her cell phone. Okay, so, everyone, so we still have calm. Because right now, the only thing we are out is my brother's wallet. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> This was a rough trip logistically oh for what God. it sounds like. Wow. Uh, my, my, my blood pressure is like spiking right now just hearing about this trip. <laughs> so 
at uh, so so we're we're at Caribbean Beach. Uh, my mother, brother, and I have like found a location near where the uh, Skyliner is. And Marie sends me a text saying, "I just got denied at Caribbean Beach." I'm like, "Dude, just let us right <laughs> in." And when I spoke with her afterwards, they there was a shift change in the time frame between me showing up and her showing up, and the guy just kind of turned her around. And she also said, though, that in defense of the uh, guy at the guard shack, he was kind of f- trying to feed her guard and get shack. her to answer the right questions. And he asked if she was gonna if she was gonna ride the Skyliner, and she said yes, yes. and that was her mistake, I yeah. think. So so then she she goes over to uh, Pop Century Art of Animation Skyliner. Get- What's the Skyliner? <laughs> Uh, so she goes over to uh, Art of Animation, gets denied there as well, which I think is the more surprising thing. That, that's the more sort of uh, hurtful one to the ego. Yep. Skyliner there too. So we had we didn't anticipate getting rejected to this extent. Wild World of Sports turned her away. There's no place left to go. Night's so in. <laughs> my aunt has an annual pass. My aunt also just had hip surgery and prior to that had a uh, – <laughs> Uh, like a, a handicap uh, placard that uh, has not yet expired, so she brought it with her. And so what they did is they went to Hollywood Studios, parked there in the handicap section, and took the Skyliner to us. Or maybe we went to them. Either way, we got to ride the Skyliner, but they were parked at Hollywood Studios. We were parked at Caribbean Beach, and we but this, ultimately. But this brings up an important question: What did Disney accomplish by all of this? negative impact on guests, turning them away from the resort, saying no to the things that we've been yep. able to do there for 30 years. Everyone ended up in the exact same spot they would have been in had they just said yes. So what did they win? I just so don't understand what they're going for. Potentially, if my aunt wasn't with them, they would have won a parking gate because they would have had to pay for parking uh, in order to park at the studios to satisfy the resort hopping that we wanted to do. So. Okay. Uh, they would have won that, and because they're not fucking running the parking trams, my parents <laughs> uh. were paying for preferred parking because they created a problem and are now charging they're for the solution. The solution. Yeah. Yep. They're so, good at that. So for like four or five days of the trip, my parents were paying the fifty dollars uh, for the preferred parking to do it. And by the way, the cost went up five dollars from the first day of our trip to the last day of our trip. Of course, inflation. But my my aunt had an annual pa- or has an annual pass and had a handicap placard, so they could park at the front and go right to the Skyliner. So uh, from an out of pocket cost standpoint, that day it didn't affect the Grassy family, but it potentially could have had my aunt not been with my wife and father. So uh, it it was an added hurdle. Uh, I also um, hung out. Do you know with- where this shit doesn't happen, Dollywood. <laughs> I, I also – well, uh, you – Josh, you asked for complexity getting into the parks. So this is just adding to that complexity. Yeah. We have to make side trips to various hotels in this order to – terrible. Get it's just it, – it's embarrassing. <laughs> so uh, I hung out with uh, with Jalen uh, Harvey on our uh, last day or second to last day. Excuse me. And he couldn't get a park reservation for the Magic Kingdom. And he was going to meet up with us that night. So he got a reservation for Epcot. And his plan was he was going to check into Epcot to check the box that he went into Epcot and then hop to Magic Kingdom because that's what's fucking required. And what he did is he got to Epcot, parked in the Tim Lostis Keys row, although that's the studios, but basically the last row of uh, the parking lot in Epcot and said, there's no way I'm doing this. I'm just going to go to guest relations at Magic Kingdom and see if they can straighten it out. And sure enough, he was able to do it that way. 
but he didn't where he didn't have to walk you know 15 minutes to the front of Epcot then 15 minutes back to his car so uh, these are just kind of the logistical operation operational headaches that they're Anything creating to avoid that is, exercise that is just very very frustrating <laughs> Jalen's in probably better shape than all of us but uh, <laughs> anyway well, Josh goes to the gym four days a week and wears under armor <laughs> it's true it's true we'll ask Jalen if he wears under armor yeah but, he and I know the secret handshake <laughs> but the uh, just those types of logistical things were were very frustrating um, but to the point of uh, back to lightning lane where at 701 <laughs> you ran into uh, ran into hurdles thankfully we had the disability pass for my brother so any issues that I faced with lightning lane I could subsequently fix with the disability pass. So there was a day at the Animal Kingdom where Lightning Lane at the Animal Kingdom was actually working pretty well in the sense that uh, we weren't near Kilimanjaro Safaris, but ultimately knew we wanted to go on it. So I kept on pushing the time back, uh, and I could push it back half an hour at a time without really any issue until I forgot that the ride closes at 4.45 because of an early sunset. Uh, and ultimately, I kept on pushing it back to the point where I could no longer book it, but I was able to get a disability pass for it. Um, but because, uh, at the animal kingdom, so my parents, my brother, uh, and Marie had already paid for lightning lane. Uh, my wife is pregnant and there's not a whole lot she can do at the animal kingdom, including the safari. So at least on one of the days, possibly on two, I ended up not buying lightning lane for myself because there wasn't anything that necessitated it for Marie. So I was Marie on a couple of rides to satisfy it. So we kind of saved quote unquote, the $15 for me on those days. Um, and I know, I know I did it at least one day because we didn't hop anywhere after animal kingdom on one of the, on the first day that we were there. Um, but, uh, with the advanced disability pass, we talked about that in the last show. There were days where I didn't use those. Um, and one case I had, uh, uh, this is the day that my mother lost her cell phone. If we're trying to put it all in context, uh, I had the thirtieth, uh, uh, the third actually. This is the third of December. I was um, trying to follow along. Uh, I had uh, advanced uh, DAS pass for Slinky Dog at one thirty and Smuggler's Run at three. Uh, I believe that day we did Slinky Dog, but we didn't do Smuggler's Run. Um, on another on another day, I think I didn't do Kilimanjaro Safaris using the abil- uh, advanced one. Um, so I would say I, I booked 16 of them. I'm going to guess I probably used 13 of them, um, but still certainly beneficial uh, to, to have those as just additional things. Um, going down the line, I mentioned Ratatouille. We did pay for Ratatouille. Uh, the second day of our trip, we had seven ticketed uh, people plus my daughter who at two did not need a ticket. Um and the problem, if you're not staying on site, is that you can't book those paid uh, upcharge lightning lanes until the park officially opens. And Epcot wasn't opening until 11 a.m. Uh, so that first day, we're walking down Sunset Boulevard at like 1045. And I'm asking everybody saying, how late is too late for me to book Ratatouille? Because uh, my in-laws had an hour-plus drive to their place. Uh, my daughter uh, falls asleep between 7 and 7.30 most nights. So we we said 8 o'clock was the latest we would do, and I ended up booking it for 8.10. Um, so I got it for, for 8.10. We all went on it. Uh, nobody was cranky. We were glad that we did. Um, but after we wrote it, 
we were kind of saying that, all right, this is this is good. We're glad we did it, but we're not necessarily going to pay for it again unless the time works. We wanted to see that area again because the area itself looks great. Um, but And we saw it at night, so you don't get the full experience. Uh, we had one other day that we we're going to hop to Epcot later on in the trip where it opened at 10 o'clock. And that was kind of our opportunity to get it at a more reasonable time for our group. And that day, I believe we were able to get it at like 4.30, which was perfect. Did you so guys did- miss boarding groups both days? We So uh, we were not in Epcot at the 1 o'clock group because you can't hop there until 2. Oh, you hopped. Yep. Yeah, so we didn't have Epcot as a park reservation on any of those days. So I knew that logistically the plan on day 2, that we had two days with my in-laws, um, that we were going to try to do as much as we can that was new to them. So that was Rise of the Resistance, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, Ratatouille, and the Skyliner. We ultimately skipped out on the Skyliner that day. But oh. we were able to get them on the three uh, in-park rides as a result of that. Yeah, we were uh, – uh, I was able to board uh, book a uh, boarding group for uh, for my okay, people. Okay, excellent. Uh, so, I, I mean – 7 a.m. we got boarding group, I think, 59 – uh, Do you which know how long up, they waited for it? It ended up hitting about three in the afternoon. Do you know how long they actually waited once the boarding group was called? Uh, I don't think long at all. I think they okay. they they pretty much got on like almost Im- immediate. Uh, like a, like a. I yeah, heard for, half an hour to an hour. Yeah, so no, it, that was also part of the reason to not even try that. But yeah, now they they did not complain of a long line and actually kind of. Uh, they called it an early day at Epcot. We got so much okay. done early in the day that they did that and finished up and actually went back to the pool uh, that night pretty early. So, I mean, uh, hopping to Epcot, uh, aside from Test Track and Frozen, uh, pretty much everything was a walk-on or an instant lightning lane. It was – including Soren as well. Yeah. Uh, it, there was there's very little demand for Future World in Epcot. There was a ton of people in World Showcase, but uh, just – Going, going through it, it was very easy to get around. I mean, it wasn't easy to get around uh, Future World because of just all the construction walls everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and a story about that momentarily. Um, something else with the disability access service was that when we got it in advance, they had a hard cap of six guests. And we knew that on that second day, we had seven people that wanted to get a Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Uh, and we were told on um, when we spoke with them in the online chat that ask at the front of the attraction and they may be able to accommodate you. I didn't really want to play that game. So I went to one of the blue umbrellas, uh, which is like the guest service adjacent areas that they have around the park. And I asked if they could book it for the seven guests that were approved on my brother's disability pass. And I, I didn't have to make the argument, but my argument was we, you would either send six guests through twice or one group of guests through, uh, sorry, seven group, seven guests through once is effectively what it would have been. Um, so they, uh, put us all on. We're able to all get us on the DAS reservation for the seven of us. And from that point, uh, I realized that I could book seven guests on the app, whereas previously I was only able to book six. So mm-hmm. they made a tweak to allow for an additional guest above whatever the online hard cap was. Um, procedurally, the ability to book a disability access pass from the app uh, sometimes disappeared. Uh, if the internet signal was poor or if it thought you were outside of the park and 
my having an iPhone and my wife having an Android uh, was a game that we played to see whose phone was working better at that moment um, with regards to Disney's system. And that and that in itself probably shouldn't be the case. It should be more consistent, but certainly things that uh, we said, all right, I can't get on it, can you? And she would make uh, either Lightning Lane or DAS reservations at times when I couldn't and vice versa. So Interesting. Yeah, it's it's annoying, and that was the case with FastPass Plus too. Let's call it what it is. This isn't really a change from that. Um, the way that it worked, and Ben, you may have experienced this as well. I think that if you're looking at the value proposition for uh, for Lightning Lane, I think they need to reduce the number of uh, upcharge attractions to one per park yeah. because the if you're tr- or reduce the cost of Lightning Lane itself. Um, you've got Can't a few different options here because at $15, you're, you're figuring out what the price point is and the range of the upcharge attractions is $7 to $15. So the assumption has to be that each attraction that is not an upcharge attraction is valued below $7. So in order to get value out of it, you need at least three attractions to get a lightning lane and, if you get Slinky Dog and Smuggler's Run at the studios, you are not getting a third attraction. It's as simple as that. So uh, then when you go over to Epcot, you're not necessarily getting the value out of it because you're getting Imagination, Seas, and Spaceship Earth and saving seven minutes total with your lightning lanes. So uh, you've got to find a balance there. And by adding another attraction to the inventory of available lightning lanes that are included as part of that $15, you get it a little bit better. And I think – What if you what if you took the cap off of one per ride and made it two per ride? Maybe, but that's not really the the avenue that I, I think they should take. I, my, my preference would be – and uh, first off, assuming that, that, that it has to be a pay-for-play service – is you only have it pay for play for one or two attractions and you don't have the $15 component to it and you remove it from the attractions and shows that just don't need it because there's still the padding, there's still the deception of trying to create value for a system that doesn't have it, that doesn't need it. You're not gaining anything by putting a lightning lane on imagination for 350 days of the year. It just doesn't help you at all. So those are the types of things that I just wish that deception didn't exist, but it was there during FastPass Plus and that's part of why I go back to the original paper FastPass as being one of the better options because that deception simply didn't exist. I um, uh, oh, go ahead, finish. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I was going to ask. Uh, I was going. I mentioned earlier we found a flaw in the system. I wonder if you found the same flaw. Go for uh, it. So you know you do have that limit of one lightning lane per attraction. Uh, yep. you, you can't sit there and keep getting one for Big Thunder Mountain all day long. Well, they do have the deal on there where if you book a lightning lane for an attraction and it's down during your window, uh, you get the make good uh, yep. ticket. That You'll get the alert and say, hey, it's down. You can hold on to this. And when the ride comes back up, you can utilize your lightning lane uh, there or you can redeem this lightning lane at you know X number of attractions uh, uh, right now and then rebook for that attraction later in the day. So the first time that happened um, – my friends had already been on Splash Mountain, but the thing said you could ride Splash Mountain, re- redeem this at Splash Mountain. So okay. I said, hey, why don't you guys go over there and see if they'll let you ride Splash Mountain a second time? They did, 
and they they got on it. So they got to use that. So it was lifted, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it be the floater doesn't have the cap on it. The floater doesn't recognize that you've already been on something once and block you from going on it again. Yeah, and so, that's that's interesting. Not really a surprise, to be honest with you. Well, here's but. the here's the here's the thing. That's not even the catch that, that, that okay. we found. So that day at the Magic Kingdom. After we had done the, this, this happened pretty early in the day. The the, the first, uh, they got there early. They bought the Lightning Lane for Space Mountain and uh, Seven Dwarfs, and I booked them Splash Mountain right off the bat. So they did Splash Mountain early in the day. The kids loved it, and so mm-hmm. they wanted to ride it again. That's when we utilized that. Well, from about like one o'clock until about like four four thirty, Buzz Lightyear was down all day. Okay. And, you know, it says it in the app, but the, there's there's no return time for Buzz Lightyear because it's down, but they were still offering lightning lanes for it. Huh. And Buzz is not obviously a super, super high demand lightning lane. So the, the return times were very close. When, when I first noticed it was right around one o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry. So it was, a, it was probably less than an hour. Out. It was probably like noonish. And I think the first window was like at 105 or 115, okay. something like that. And I said... You know what I'm going to do? They're offering it, so I'm going to book Buzz Lightyear. And if Buzz Lightyear is open at 115, you'll go ride Buzz because they hadn't been on it yet. But if not, you're going to get another floater pass. There you go. And so we booked it. They got another floater pass. You're a floater pass. So (laughs) once they got that floater pass, though, it didn't wait for them to redeem it before I could get their next pass. Okay. And so I went in the system. And there's Buzz sitting there, and like the next one was, <laughs> the next one was literally like 145. Oh wow! So I was like, "You guys go ride Big Thunder. I'm gonna book you another Buzz right now and see if this happens again." Well, I book them another one. 145 rolls around. Actually, you know, it was before that. It was 140. It was an. It was bef- five minutes before their window started. We already got the text that Buzz is down. Here's your next. Here's your pass. Go use it on something. Like holy crap, go use that on uh. They, they hadn't done like Winnie the Pooh. I was like go do, go go use Winnie the Pooh. Go for it. And like the next one again was like two fifteen. I was like I'm gonna do it again. We did it four times before Buzz finally came. It was four or five times before Buzz finally came online, and we couldn't do it again. And at that point, they just wouldn't utilize it at Buzz. So there's a major flaw in the system to where. What Disney needs to do is if an attraction is down, they probably need to stop giving out. Lightning yeah, lanes. Yeah, that absolutely needs to be turned off. But until then, freaking you can you can use that system over and over, and like I said, use it on your favorite. You, they could have sat there and been on Splash Mountain four times in a row if they wanted to. Uh, yeah. So we we found that it, uh, and so we kept an eye on that every time at the other parks. Uh, if if we saw a window to where we could maybe utilize that system again, we did. Nothing was on on that long of a gap like Buzz gave us that day of like that three and a half four hour. Uh, downtime that that we were able to do it on there, but uh, for that day at the Magic Kingdom, they were able to do a lot more than that they uh, oh, yeah. they typically could have with just a normal day uh, using Genie Plus. So those floaters, uh, as far as I know, they didn't include Mine Trainer Space Mountain, but they also didn't include Peter Pan's Flight, correct? Which was interesting. Yep. Uh, they did include Jungle did include Jungle Cruise, which yep. is still the higher demand of. Uh, the fifteen dollar fast pass grouping. Um, we only got one of those floaters, and it was when we were evac'd off Pirates, which was pretty damn cool. Uh, and what's funny is uh, to tell you whether or not Emma is understanding this. She, we have a Pirates poster in our house, 
Uh, she recognizes Yoho and she says that was the ride that was broken. So she recognizes that that ride was broken and that things weren't as they should have been when we uh, got evac'd off that. But yeah, very interesting. And I wonder how long they will keep attractions uh, operationally on the lightning lane system when they're down. Uh, yeah. I would think that when, when the attraction is closed, that the, that the system there should just automatically close with it. But certainly not the case and good on you for, uh, for trying to poke holes in it and successfully poking holes in it, not even trying to. Um, some other things uh, we did in those first few days, uh, people that have watched me on Twitter, and I think I mentioned it several times in this show as well, uh, we did get that beer garden reservation, and our efforts were not uh, without reward because it was excellent. We had a centered table in the front. Uh, my brother loved it. Emma loved it. The entire family loved it. We had a great time there. Uh, and they are probably at about 60% capacity, it felt like. There were a lot of empty tables there. And I know that a lot of restaurants are in the same boat where they're just not running anywhere near 100 uh, percent anecdotally i've never waited much more than 10 minutes for yak and yeti with a landry's card and we <laughs> ate there twice and it was 25 to 30 minutes to, uh, oh, wow. to get a table and it, again it's because they're spacing people out still or they just yeah. don't have the kitchen staff or um wait staff to handle it so yeah. there's a lot of issues like that at table service restaurants where you just you just don't see the the staffing there to handle it. Yeah, my f- my friends were uh, wanting to book a lot of real popular restaurants. Uh, yep. His his wife was thinking like if they didn't get into some of the key places, it was gonna like you know be a bummer on the trip. We we prepped them ahead of time because I knew your issues. Um, yeah, and convinced them you know go counter sir, and, and we convinced them you know again you're in the park is your first ever trip. You've got little kids. You're only in each park one day. Um, sure. Don't waste two hours at a sit down meal. Like go, go do counter service and get out there and do the rides, do the stuff that, uh, you know, is, is the, the, the most important things. It's not like these people, they've been a million times and, and yeah. can afford to, uh, miss out on certain things. So, and knowing the issues that were there, convincing them just to go counter service, doing the mobile order, uh, they walked away very happy, uh, not complaining about it whatsoever. Now this weekend <clears throat> we have some more, uh, another client going who they, they do go all the time and yep. they can't get a damn thing at the moment. Yeah, There's uh, not much available. There's, there's nothing available. So we're having the opposite talk with them going, we know you want to do these certain deals. You just have to keep trying, go up in person, keep an eye on it, but just go knowing that you're probably not going to do much sit down dining on this trip. It's just not going to be there. I was fearful of just what the quick service was going to be like and whether I was going to see reduced menus or anything like that. I was pretty pleased with the quick service, both from a quantity and quality and value for what yep. we're spending relative to Disney prices normally. Uh, and granted, we did have several meals at Captain Cook's, uh, but we, we were pleased with uh, with our meals there. So well, we, we were the same way this summer where, you know, we love going to the restaurants as well. We got into Viennapoli twice, but that mm-hmm. was it. Um, and counter service to everything else, but you know there there is some quality counter service in the parks right now that uh, I never went hungry. I'll put it that way. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It, it it's not the worst thing if if that's what you end up having to do during your trip. We did Docking Bay Seven a couple times. I was pleased with that. At Gary's recommendation, I tried the the meat free meatballs and they were very good. Pizza Rizzo. Uh, did not go to Pizza Rizzo. Son but- of a- 
I, I got to talk about Harmonious. Uh, so the day that we stayed late to do Ratatouille, um, first off, Epcot is closing at 10. So normally, or historically, Epcot has done their nighttime show at 9 o'clock. Uh, but now it's at 9.45. And when you got a toddler, you're pushing it when you're doing that. But um, we did Ratatouille and we're like, all right, this is going to be as late as we're going to be in Epcot. Because uh, we were doing, we were out of the parks by eight most nights. Uh, we're like, all right, let's see if we can get her to fall asleep and we can see the show. So we camped out at Showcase Plaza, and Marie and I uh, took turns kind of running laps with Emma from our spot in Showcase Plaza to that like stretch of uh, pathway that goes from that Showcase Plaza main drag to the Odyssey. So we were kind of doing that to just kind of get her to fall asleep in the stroller. So uh, our spot in Showcase Plaza was on the far side of a planter. So there was still people ahead of us, but we had a planter in the way. So they weren't really blocking our view. Uh, but it allowed my parents to sit down and relax for an hour. And Marie and I could kind of leave and come back. Uh, so the show was about to start. And people started standing on the opposite side of the planter. And it wasn't like just kids doing it. It was probably adults in their 60s uh, to the point where they were struggling to get up to stand on there. And I politely went over and said, look uh, – I recognize you've been staying here for a while, but there's 500 plus people behind you and you've just totally blocked their view 100%. And uh, the woman, let's just call her Karen, uh, <laughs> says we've been waiting for three hours, so we won't be getting down. Just firm wasn't – I mean, don't get me She was being uh, – she was being a B word, but not five seconds after I left, a cast member came by, yelled at them to get down, and they did. And that same cast member did several laps during the show because a couple more people kept on getting up on there. But uh, suffice it to say, we did not have a bad spot for Harmonious. We actually had a very good spot for Harmonious. Um, so I want to put that in perspective because everybody that complains about it, they the feedback, the pushback that they get is, well, where did you watch it from? And I think as I kind of walked around World Showcase later on in the trip, the France Bridge, for example, you have you're you're at a horrible angle for the uh, the Stargate, but you've got a very good angle for two of the tacos. <laughs> but that is Let, like let's just get down to brass tacks. What 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 is your summation of that show on a scale of one to ten? Compare where Illuminations was a ten. <laughs> it has a lot of flaws. Okay. <laughs> it's not a numerical answer. Uh, no, it's, it's it. not. It's not a numerical <laughs> answer. Nor was I prepared to give a numerical answer. Fair enough. From my perspective, it was the best use of projections on water that I've seen to date. Okay, but I had a perfect view, and the problem is the number of people that can actually see those projections at that angle. This is kind of an argument that I made to, to Martin when he was defending rivers of light saying with a similar comparison saying that the projections on water and rivers of light are good as long as there's no wind. Um, and so this doesn't necessarily have the wind factor. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that they do here with the mist and lasers where it's not even necessarily like phantasmic level projection that is impressive to me. Um, but the the viewing angle of those projections is remarkably limited. Uh, the tech is very impressive, but it's 100% the wrong location for that technology. It would need a dedicated theater in order to satisfy it. Uh, I don't know, ne know necessarily that the show can just be lifted up and put in Fantasmic because I don't know that the show has enough Epcot in it that it makes 
some sense for Epcot, even though as flawed as it may be. Um, but it needs a dedicated theater like a World of Color or a Fantasmic to truly showcase the tech that they have. Because as high as that tech is, it's also low. Uh, because you've, unless you're in the front row, you're not really seeing it all particularly well. The biggest complaint people had about Illuminations is that you couldn't see the Earth Globe, right? But mm-hmm. everybody had an equally shitty view of the Earth Globe. Whereas here, yeah. your views are vastly different depending on where you are in World Showcase. That, to me, is a bigger issue than any structural uh, story-based component of the show. Uh, I didn't think the music was bad. I, like, it was what I expected the music to be in person. Uh, my father didn't like it. He thought, like, this just doesn't work. Um, but uh, And I'm, I'm generally not a fan of the clip show as an Epcot-style show. But it was that was at least what I expected. And yes, the unifying theme would have helped it. The biggest thing for me is that the viewing angle made it so that you really only can – you only have like 20 degrees of a 360-degree venue that are viewable for the show. And that's awful. So like putting it in a dedicated theater where you can maybe stage it a little bit further back and everybody can see it uh, would help tremendously. And – Yes, there are other flaws with the show. Um, I I can't give it anything remotely positive other than the tech was impressive, but it was a horrible showcase or a horrible location to showcase that tech. Yeah, um, and that's that's really my takeaway. And I think they added a little bit more pyro uh, since the show debuted online, um, and I think some of those things are starting to increase, but. Uh, Adding more pyro would help because that would take your focus away from those uh, water screens <laughs> and the tacos. But it's just. I have to look at the daytime, buddy. Oh, it looks awful. It yeah. absolutely looks awful. Yeah. And there's there's no real defending these choices. Yep. If it, if it was in a dedicated theater and not in World Showcase Lagoon and not disrupting the, uh, the, the daytime aesthetic. Uh, like if Epcot had a venue like the Phantasmic Theater and you could watch it in there and, you know, 10,000 people could watch it, then all right, fine. But that, that's not the venue that they have. This this show was not designed for the Epcot venue for watching fireworks. That's yep. as simply as, as it would be. The only defensible thing, and it's not really defensible, is that this was designed for that tabletop pavilion that they're not building. Because mm-hmm. that would be a decent viewing angle for it. And the staging of these things are such where you would have pretty straight shot view from that probably upcharge facility was what the original plan was. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So other things related to this as we were kind of doing laps with uh, with Emma, Marie and I both took turns going into Creation Shop. Uh, I think it has a very clean aesthetic. I like it better than Mouse Gear. It's – Mouse gear, I think, felt more claustrophobic. This is the exact opposite. It feels super it, open it, in there. Is it clean or is it sterile? Because it just doesn't look to me like it has any heart. There may be a, ch- a touch of it being sterile at the same time. but Okay. It looks like they copied an Apple store to me. Yeah, and that, that's not far off. And you get that sterile vibe from an Apple it's store as sterile, well. sterile like the hallways of the Galactic Star Cruiser. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that like I Cheaper, only went though. into it – I only went into it at night, so I don't know how it feels during the day. And with the amount of windows, that's probably a significant factor. But I think in part at night is you look out those windows and you don't really feel that you've got construction walls on top of you either. True. But I, I did like the interior of it. 
uh, better than mouse gear. So uh, having said that, there was no merchandise that I was interested in buying. So uh, didn't well, you actually, know, it's funny to me. Like Chapek came from merchandising, right? Yeah. And I've been saying since long before he took the helm that Disney sucks at merchandise. For a company that tries to, you know, make a buck on everything they do, they don't have any decent high quality merchandise at all. It's all just crap. They it's, don't know if they're high end or low end. At this it's point. really you could buy a thirty seven thousand dollar Crystal Castle, yeah. you know, or, or an overpriced T shirt. But if you want a, a two hundred dollar high quality, uh, you know, HO version of the monorail, that's not even an option. It's just so. St- I, I always duck into art. This, this, this art company has no rudder. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The, <laughs> the iceberg is out there and we're about to hit it. I always duck into art at Disney uh, to see if there's something that I want to purchase. Usually there's a pirate's item or a haunted mansion item. That's the best hope you got for sure. And so I went in there and the one in Disney Springs had uh, the Barker bird from pirates as a 50th anniversary item. And it was $95, which is not really a bad price for what yeah, it was. I, I'm okay with that. That's kind of in the range of what I'm talking about. So I'm glad and, that's and, there. And that, so I was, I was tempted to buy that. Uh, and then they had a – it's not a big fig. I think those are traditionally more like two feet tall. I guess we'll call it a medium fig of, <laughs> uh, of Mr. Toad holding the deed. Um, yeah, and I believe that one. was 140 I was tempted to buy both of them. I ultimately didn't. And but that's, that was, they need more of that. Like that's the right – that is the right – range for them to be in and that's the exception i think those are reasonable prices for things like that i I agree with you so anyway i I passed on both of them but i was i was tempted on both as well uh if somebody were to have bought those for me for a gift i would be i would be pleased with that gift uh just throwing that out there oh yeah and a time machine so (laughs) but if there imagine there was a nice two hundred dollar something horizons themed or something oh, classic like i would spend a lot of money on that and i would never feel guilty about it but that those offerings aren't there i mean i've spent more on fan-made etsy items like the yep. uh, world showcase to- uh, torches that i got last year i think they were yeah uh anyway uh some other some other items that uh kind of Quick hits. Uh, the modified Lion King show is a good alternative, and it was interesting to hear how they cut the audio. So, if you guys haven't watched the modified show, they cut out the uh, any of the audience participation with like the animal noises, and they cut out the uh, the gymnasts. Presumably because they're probably all European and can't get travel visas to get to the United no, States. No, they're actually from uh, a lot of them come from the University of Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. I'm not. I'm not joking about that. Okay, it's kind of funny. You, yep. you know, you know more than me, but it's. I know it's that some of them were, were former <laughs> what, what, Olympians. Well, the University of Oklahoma is one of the best gymnastics uh, teams in the country, and uh, through my job, we actually uh, do work with them, and that's a. It's a prime recruiting ground. Uh, they usually graduate there, and it's a. It's a big job for them to head out that way. Well, <laughs> I hope that they get reinstated soon because that part of the show is, is sorely missed. Uh, but what was interesting is I don't think they had to record any new audio. They did a pretty good job of cutting the audio that they had to make it work appropriately. Um, and th- this is fine as a temporary replacement, but if this was the show long term, this would not be a long term show. It's just, it needs a, that little extra level of audience interaction as well as the wow factor of those gymnasts 
uh, to just bring it back to the full show. Uh, the fire twirler is one thing and very impressive, but there's a couple of other wow and impressive moments to people that view that for especially the first time that really make it. So uh, that's one thing that uh, I'm glad that it's there as a, as a replacement temporarily, but it should not be a long-term solution. Um, on the other end of things, the Feathered Friends in Flight, which is the seemingly permanent replacement to Up, which just didn't work, uh, is a much more traditional bird show that works substantially better than the Up show ever did. Bird show. They took a lot of the Guano Joe lines from Flights of Wonder and put those lines in the, uh, in the voice of the trainers. And it really is just all about the birds and all about the trainers and letting the animals be the star. So I personally prefer the Flights of Wonder version better, but this is just substantially better and not awkward like the Up version was. So that is an absolute positive for that park and uh, a show that if it remains that show, I will absolutely see once per trip, whereas the Up show, I had no desire to see it ever. So then something just kind of unique, uh, we saw a gorilla climbing a tree at uh, the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail. I've been going to that park for 20-plus years, and I don't recall ever seeing a gorilla 50 feet in the air in a tree. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mentioned uh, previously that we were evac'd off of Pirates. We got a little bit of a behind-the-scenes tour. We got a lights-on tour in the uh, Village's Burning section. So that was very cool. Uh, My father fell asleep before we were evacuated. (laughs) Uh, They sent a guy out in... uh, a full uh, ca- uh, full Cabela's waiters to pull our boat back to a safe area where we could evacuate and uh, climbed up uh, into uh, one of the areas of the town that's on fire. So we saw backstage and got to see it from that perspective, which was very, very cool. Um, that was also the night that we saw Disney Enchantment uh, in person. Very solid show. Uh, I could see people liking this better than uh, Happily Ever After. Uh, I could see people liking Happily Ever After better. Uh, I would say I'm probably 60-40 in the Happily Ever After camp, but there's very little wrong with this show. Uh, I think it's just a typical Magic Kingdom type show with the added projections on Main Street. Um, I will say just observationally, the song choices for Disney Enchantment uh, didn't seem to be like as uplifting. It wasn't always the uh, uh, the the pop song that you would get from from whatever the movie was that they chose from. But uh, no complaints other than that just being an observation. Um, touching back on Harmonious, so Emma, my daughter, did wake up. Uh, during that show. And again, this would be like, you know, 9.50, a couple hours past her bedtime. She leans up. First thing she says is more rides. Uh, And then with about five minutes left in the show, uh, that's when they actually started the fireworks and that got her going. So she was a little bit, she, she got, she got upset there and Marie, uh, Marie left with her at that point. Um, (laughs) But later on in the trip, she was uh, awake during, Disney Enchantment and saw that and yes she was in Marie's arms as she was watching it but didn't get bothered by the fireworks so uh, I know I've run into that with nephews in the past and anytime you're going to a park late at night with kids when they're already potentially cranky and tired you don't know what you're going to face with fireworks so true uh, had a couple of days on the trip where it was supposed to be low crowds according to touring plans and they felt substantially heavier crowds Uh, And I actually asked Len about some of this, where these were days where the park reservations were gone for the day. 
and he had them measured at a two out of 10 on the crowd calendar. And that math just didn't really work for me, uh, where you rewind a week before and during Thanksgiving week, you also had no park reservations for some parks and it was an eight, nine or a 10 on the crowd calendar. So I don't know if there's something that needs adjusting in lens metrics or uh, what would be more interesting is if Disney is deliberately uh, expanding the number of guests that they're allowing on days when they know that they're going to have a higher demand. So like Thanksgiving week, Christmas week, et cetera, whereas the week after is typically lower crowds. Uh, if the number of guests allowed in the park is floating that much because it wasn't, it didn't feel like a 10 out of 10 on any of these days, but it probably felt like a five or a six when Len had it at a three or a four. Um, and there were no park reservations available. So all of that was just kind of, uh, I, I'd love to see a little bit more behind the scenes as to how Disney is adjusting their capacities on any given day. Um, because from Thanksgiving week to the week that we were there, uh, as far as I know, nothing opened up uh, that would have been a substantial ability to boost attendance or decrease attendance one way or another. So um, I don't know if you guys have seen anything similar, Ben, if uh, your friends uh, commented on crowds at all, if you even had that discussion. They were such newbies, they didn't know one way or the other. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. One one thing that we uh, were waiting on. So the we went to the studios three times. Uh, Marie did not go on Rise of the Resistance the first day. Somebody said somebody had to stay off with Emma, and she just wanted one more set of recent opinions as to whether or not, as somebody that the time is you know four and a half months pregnant, should go on Rise of the Resistance. Um, that was the only attraction that was listed as pregnant women should not ride that she went on. She went on it on December third. Felt zero ill effects, didn't feel at all that she was endangering her uh, unborn child. Uh, and really the concern would have been the there's a drop in it and there's a uh, simulator portion of it. And said, yeah, there was, there was no issue with it at all for her. Uh, I absolutely say use your own judgment. But uh, my wife, after hearing the opinion of her mother, my mother, myself, uh, Ben's wife, a uh, multitude of others, my sister, all saying that uh, she should be fine going on. And as long as she wasn't feeling nauseous, she felt comfortable going on it and loved the ride as well. I think everybody that went on it loved it. I have a friend that's still there right now, and he went to the extent of not seeing any ride video ahead of it. And when he would, I think we're one of the only few podcasts that he listened to that's Disney related. Whenever we talk about rise of the resistance, he skips ahead 10 plus minutes to make sure that doesn't <laughs> spoil him, spoil it for him. And he, he did it right. And I've said this to Josh as well. Uh, and I think you've watched ride video, right, Josh? Yep. Yeah. Don't watch anymore because, uh, the best way to experience this is totally virgin, just going into it blind. And Marie had seen it like when it had first come out in 2019 but hadn't really watched much of it then anyway. And there's enough. I also masturbated before I lost my virginity. So <laughs> I d- didn't really detract that much from the experience. But I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying that like, I there, no, it's there, true. Are, there are plenty of surprises on this. There are plenty of things that are disorienting yeah. Yeah. and just seeing it and experiencing it in person. Uh, it's, it's such a fantastic attraction. Um, and I, I think really if you can go into it totally blind, you're just going to enjoy it that much more. I agree. Yeah. So it was uh, – I'm glad that she got to enjoy it. Uh, 
Let's see. What else do I have here? This is when my mother lost her phone. We talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so that, that same night, this was just – I'm texting my sister as this is all going on because uh, I stayed in the park later with my brother because we lost some time as we were trying to figure out what was going on with my mother's phone. So uh, we hadn't had – I think this is our second night in Epcot and that first night we didn't have a lot of time to ride rides because we had uh, beer garden reservations. So to satisfy my brother, I stayed in the park with him and I said uh, we'd, we'd ride Figment and uh, Test Track is what I said. So I had a disability pass for Test Track, I believe, and went over to Figment thinking that I had made a lightning lane for Figment, but I didn't actually hit the complete button. And when I scanned it, Figment only had a five-minute wait. Uh, they actually let us through with a disability pass, which I thought was interesting. I guess uh, – I know the rule is if you have – if it's 15 minutes or less, they'll let you in. But I had never tested that. So you don't even need to make the reservation, I guess, is if you go up to a queue and you have a valid disability pass – where there's uh, a wait of 15 minutes or less, they will just let you in. And that was our case with Figment. Um, so after Imagination, we went over to Test Track. And if you remember, there's a giant hole in the middle of Epcot. So it's not really an easy walk to get over there. Uh, we get over there. I didn't check the app beforehand. It was closed. Uh, so we went back and rode the seas. Uh, so it took uh, the walk from Imagination to the seas by way of Test Track. took us about 25 minutes uh, to do the two rides that I had promised him we would do. So uh, that, that was fun. The other, uh, some other random one-off things. My father did the animation Academy at animal kingdom, really enjoyed that. Uh, he had been taking some, uh, some sketching classes as kind of a, a hobby to do. And he uh, got to sketch Pumbaa and it was really good timing. I think he, we arrived a good five, 10 minutes before the class started and he was able to sit, uh, do the class. We played at the, um, uh, petting zoo. I'm going to enjoy that. Uh, this was another day. I, my parents had been paying for preferred parking and I said, all right, you're paying for preferred parking. Let's not play the park at the poly game. Let's park at the TTC. I am not overly familiar with a TTC parking lot. And I, we weren't in a far corner of the parking lot and it was a 14 minute walk to the car from the TTC for my brother and I. And we are not slow walkers. My brother is 6'2", <laughs> uh, with a stride of somebody that's probably 6'4". And while I am shorter, I can keep up with him. 14-minute um, walk f for most people uh, after walking around the park for seven or eight days is a bit much. So not having those parking lot trams is a killer. And this just goes to the uh, charging for the solution with the preferred parking. By comparison, uh, we had parked in like the fourth from the last row in Epcot – and I think it was a nine-minute walk for us. Uh, that's the, that's the next good day. context. Yeah. So the TCC is just that, – that parking lot is so massive. So you, you must have been out by like where the speedway used to be then. You had to be we're like pretty far around out. the corner. We were pretty far out. So it was at the villain section. So we uh, – TTC is at our back. We're up and to the left. Yeah. And it was, it was a bit of a haul. And I don't know. I mean – I do love that parking lot, though. It's one of the – this is how sad things have become for me as a nostalgic Epcot or nostalgic Disney fan. Like just – I look at the, the parking lights in that lot. Like there's there's just a lot of originalness in that parking lot. It's one of the few places they haven't fucked up. Well, they're, they're actually, you, you say that there are parts of it where they're poorly lit. 
Uh, and other things too. That's that all I part th- of the 70s mistake. Yeah. Well, there are other things too where like as you're walking in the walking path that you're supposed to follow when you're, when you don't have a tram, uh, some of these signs for the locations are actually facing the wrong way. They're not double sided. <laughs> so I don't know where the fuck I am. Uh, I've sworn quite a bit in this show. That's fine. We got the explicit tag on there. At yep. this point, if anyone hears it, it's their fault. That same night, uh, so Marie and I had seen Disney Enchantment earlier in the trip, and it was just the two of us uh, staying in late. Uh, that night was the uh, – this is the night of December 4th. Everybody stayed, and my brother absolutely loved the finale of it. Uh, when he when he gets clapping uh, uh, intently, uh, it, it is definitely a sign of appreciation. Some people look at it as he's angry or whatnot, but no, he absolutely loved the finale of Enchantment. So uh, positive review from Matt. Next couple of days, we had some pretty efficient days in the parks where we, uh, you know, did Hollywood Studios in Epcot. This was the uh, the day where we uh, were able to get the um, like four o'clock or four thirty time for Ratatouille. But the observation for this day was that over the course of the trip, photos were not syncing properly on PhotoPass. Uh, I would say. And I had it as an add-on with my annual pass. And at the time that I renewed my annual pass, it was not an upcharge. It was just included. Um, But now it's a $99 upcharge for an annual pass and I believe a $200 upcharge for just a length of stay ticket uh, for somebody's vacation. But I would say that about 60 to 70% of the attractions synced properly for PhotoPass. Uh, And if you're paying for a premium service like this, uh, you got to do better than that. And before people ask about how old our Magic Bands were, I had a Magic Band from a few years ago, and I had ordered a new one, which was on our person as well. Uh, and Marie bought a brand new one while we were there, so we had three of them for multiple rides. And and any of those case, and in many of those cases, it didn't pull a single photo. Uh, biggest culprits were Pirates and Slinky Dog Dash. Uh, Haunted Mansion also wasn't a good one. And on Expedition Everest, which I only rode once this trip, uh, I had my magic band on and I scanned it after the ride and didn't get that photo either. So plenty of things like that where if you are driving your billion dollar or multi-billion dollar technology on this magic band tech that you are now no longer offering because they may or may not cause cancer, they need to do better on these photo pass things. We did stop at a couple of PhotoPass photographers as well, and that was fine. But the on-ride photos would be the value that I would get out of it most often. So last few days, there really wasn't much noteworthy other than just rounding out what was a very good trip. I did have on an Animal Kingdom day, as I said, uh, didn't necessarily always buy Lightning Lane. I skipped it at least one day, possibly two. And then after that, that very last day of the trip, I said this earlier on. Uh, I had to buy the Lightning Lane for the Magic Kingdom, and by the time that I got to the screen where I could actually make a selection, it was 7.01 uh, a.m., and Jungle Cruise was as far out as 1 p.m. So uh, all of that uh, was just kind of the procedural side of Lightning Lane, and I reached out to Disney to see if they could fix it. They got back to me mid-trip with a non-answer, and huh. it has still not yet been resolved with an explanation. Uh, one of the asks uh, on the day after we got – or the, the last day of the trip, which was our travel day, they said, can you provide a screenshot of this not working? And I said, well, my trip is over. But yes, I actually can. And I sent them a picture. And that was at this point now 
five or six days ago, and they have not responded to that screenshot. Mm-hmm. So I think it is certainly a flaw that still exists regarding the uh, regarding the Lightning Lane for annual passes. Why you can't book them a day in advance, I don't know. Uh, it just seems like it's way too easy a thing to do. But uh, transitioning back to the real world, uh, what I found interesting is the next day at work, I felt weird not having to put my mask on to do anything. That yeah. was kind of it was it was just a really bizarre feeling. Like, am I am I misbehaving going to the bathroom not putting my mask on? I can assure you that I don't share that sentiment with you. Well, you weren't doing it for a week and a half, so. No. I don't do it uh, ever. <laughs> so, like, right where where I live, uh, it is not required. I'm uh, fully vaccinated with a booster. Uh, it's not anything <laughs> that I really can do you, But do you have the 12th booster? Because <laughs> if not, you're basically killing everyone around you. It's true. It's true. And I'm wearing a magic band, too, which, again, as we've established, Ooh, they cause yeah. cancer. So, but other than, like, going into a doctor's office, I'm not really in a situation where I have to wear a mask all that often. Um, it wasn't super inconvenient in the parks other the the more annoying thing was like if we're at a quick service restaurant and we got up from the table to do anything uh usually it was something quick where i needed to do something for emma (laughs) and i didn't think to put the mask on at all times and i don't know that a cast member yelled at me for that but i believe my own family uh we kind of tried to self-govern in those situations because we didn't want to be those assholes uh there was a situation where i saw awesome planet and there might have been 15 people in the theater and there was nobody within 50 feet of me from where I was sitting. And I pulled my mask down and a cast member came up to me and said, it just kind of did the gesture, like pointing at my mask and told me to pull it back up. That's all I need to know. Then I'm not going there. I have no <laughs> I interest like, in that. I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, I, I think that, uh, I mean, right now Universal doesn't have the mask requirement. Uh, I think Disney is going to hold out until the end of the year and then probably drop it. It's absurd. It's absolutely I mean, absurd. We we can talk about the efficacy of it all we want. I think at this point it's just they don't want to have anything tied to them over the holidays. So I'm if if I had to bet, I would say January fifteenth, uh, and I would take the over, but barely uh, would be the benchmark. They'll give it holidays plus two weeks is what they'll look at. That's my guess. Um, but anyway, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any additional questions for the trip. I've obviously wandered and rambled on for quite some time. You covered everything as far as did I could tell. Did you see any gorillas in trees? I did. I did. Okay. There's a line uh, that Letterman used to do, or he had uh, the intern that he was having an affair with, uh, when she he would put her on camera and have her ask questions of celebrities, and the go-to question was, did you see or touch any monkeys? <laughs> so, anyway, I did see monkeys. I did not touch any monkeys. That's good. That's Did good. you spank any monkeys? Possibly. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate your honesty. <laughs> if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on martycalled.com. Boxing Day is coming up, and I know we have some Canadian listeners because our last episode peaked at number 21 on the Canadian travel charts. Woo-hoo. So be sure to buy your boxing glove and Queen Elizabeth punching bag on Amazon through our Amazon affiliate link. Doesn't cost you a penny more, but helps us with the purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can, we, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Backside underscore Water. Uh, and you can find my top tens in every issue of Attractions Magazine. And we hope you all tune in for part two of Tim's trip report <laughs> in a couple weeks here on Marty Called. 
Looking forward to it. Josh, what about you? Where can we find you online? I'm at utilidors.com, but I spelled it wrong. So it's like door, like the thing that you have between your living room and your porch. And you can find me at WDW Theme Parks on Twitter, www.themeparks.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Put your mask on, Josh. Once you get tabs in your browser, we'll open the floor up to your opinion on technology. <laughs> I love that the guy that told me about his passion of his nerddom also told me that he doesn't use tab browsing. Which version of Nets? What version of Netscape are you firing up over there? Three. <laughs> You've got mail. I also insist on using Firefox over anything else. Yeah, I mean they're still, despite their best efforts, that company still exists. <laughs> All right, can we start the show now? We already did. I got news well, for you. I'm okay. rolling on all this. Yeah, yeah. I'm six minutes into my, uh, to my audacity yeah, I, I don't know why you think we didn't start, just because we okay. didn't do the introductions yet. But I, I assure you, this is what they call an opening gambit. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll just have the six-minute head start. teach them how broadcasting works, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> if you see a purple sign on the side of the road, it says, fifty. Miles to the guard shack! Guard shack, yeah, yeah! Tim is headed down the Disney Highway Looking for some free parking! Looking for some free parking. I got me a car and I don't wanna pay. So we're headed on over to the guard shack. I got an ADR. It seats about 20. So come on and bring your dirty couch now. Gary, the guard shack is where Tim goes to lie. So he can park for free. Guard shack, baby. A guard shack, baby. Guard shack, baby, guard shack. 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 Sign says, stay away, fools, cause money rules at the guard shack. Tim's got himself a car, and he doesn't want to pay, so he goes up to the shack, and here's what he has to say. I got a mobile order, here is my receipt. It's not really cheating, if you let me park there, please. 
The guard shack is where Tim goes to lie when he wants to park for free. Guard shack, baby. A guard shack, baby. Guard shack, baby. Guard shack. Guard shack, baby. Guard.